Candle Coven. I'm Elena. And I'm Jocelyn from Bijou Candles. And And this this is is the Candle Candle Coven Coven Podcast. Let's light some candles, get cozy, and talk at it. Uh, So something has happened, and it's not even officially technically summer yet. And it happened so much sooner than last summer. And I cannot believe I'm going to have to live with it again. Is it? Did you get your breast buds? No. (laughs) It's my it's my tan lines. Oh, I can see there. Yep, I can see them. I so last summer I decided to only wear bike shorts all summer just because I think they're the best short, like a comfortable bike short. It. You avoid chafing. Yeah. And that's really the only thing I have to say is it avoids chafing. And they're cute. They're cute. You wear it with a big t-shirt. They're great. The only No, there's no downside. No, there is a downside. Yeah, but those happen with regular shorts too. No, these, this is true. You do get like tan lines or like a farmer's tan with like a t-shirt, but the bike short tan line, because it's It's like a harsh line. It's a harsh line. And when I'm completely naked, it looks I like look like short. I'm wearing a white body, like a skin colored bodysuit. It's so funny. And I have tan lower arms only. Yeah. And I have lower that too. legs. And you then, tan like nicely. You tan like a golden. That's so nice. Which is unusual for someone who's majority from Ireland. I think it must be that, that little Portuguese. bit of Portuguese that I have. Coming through. Um, but I I like like the golden tan. However, it just looks absolutely. It's a yin yang. I look like a dweeb. It looks like you get to some manual labor outside. I look like a dweeb. I just. And do you realize, Elena, like, oh, good news, everybody. I got approved to finally get my breast reduction surgery. So, I mean, what a journey, but what a journey. I'm all good. My health blip is cleared up. Everything is I'm very grateful. I'm very happy. I get to get my surgery. But now a complete stranger is going to see me completely naked and they're going to say, wow, that's a really dweeby tan line. I hope she says that straight to your face. I you know that I'm going to be like, like, I want a discount. Stop it. Yeah. No. I mean, I'm going to bring it up first and I'm going to be like, I just have to warn you that there is a very. Can you please not? (laughs) This woman has seen some stuff like this. She's not even going to notice. It's I I think she's a plastic surgeon. I think because you love Molly. I know. I think because you. She just said tan lines. Did she? (laughs) With her little gums. She went. (laughs) Stop. Tan lines. See? Tan lines. Tan lines. <laughs> Will you pick her up? She's on your side. Whenever Molly needs to get something done, we just like basically decide which jurisdiction she's in. And she was oh in Elena's God. jurisdiction. Right there. That's true. It's not my jurisdiction. Yeah, that's the 14th. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but I think because you love me, you think that my stupid tan line is cute. And it mm-hmm. is honestly it looks like I'm wearing a flesh-colored, like, special effects suit. Yeah, from- I can, they're reflective. I can see. <laughs> it's precious. I'm going to need to do something about it because it took me, like, half the winter to get rid of last summer's one. Oh, my God. Remember that time we went to the beach and, like, we both got burns on our back that lasted? Yes. Like, the, the tan two line years. lasted for, like, two years. Yes. We went to... What beach was that? Jake- I think it was Jacob Reese. Jacob Reese, which is... 
the last time I went was very dirty. Awful. This is the thing about um, Manhattan and the borough bound beaches is they are. Um, hit wow. Miss. Hit or usually miss. Hit miss. It's usually a hit if you're drunk because you're drunk. Sure. The last, last time we went to Jacob Reese to Jacob Reese. There was a biblical amount of horse flies. There was a biblical amount of like those biting horse flies. I think they're called horse flies. Yeah, I felt like I was on alone. We were being attacked. I've never in my life had anything like this. Yeah, those happen. were the worst bites I've ever had. It was. The whole, I lived in Florida. Everyone at the beach was freaking oh, out. Yeah. They were just like uh, it was like swarms. It was like of birdemic. F- it was like birdemic. They were flesh eating flies. They were biting us, and we were trying to like find a spot where there were less flies, and we were finding hypodermic needles yeah. in the sand, tampons, tampons in the sand, and. I just was like, I this I can't do this. It was a regular old Mamma Mia. It was. But yeah, it was the opposite. <laughs> the opposite. It was uh, a nightmare. And I also got sand in my eye. Remember that? Yeah, you did. And I had to take my contact out. Oh, you guys, the beach is like fun in theory. Yeah, it's not actually but fun. But it's only fun like if you're literally staying in a place like on a beach or like in yeah. a resort. Because and the sand is nice. Yeah. Otherwise, like a beach where it involves like a schlep. Yeah. A schlep. Like a family I'm, beach day with no, a schlep. No, I can't no, think no. of any, like, there is no worse feeling to me than, like, getting in the water in the beach, coming out, getting covered in sand. Yeah. And then, like, having to get it off of you and then sitting in a chair. Right. When you're still wet. That's true. And then, like, all your skin is itchy for forever. So, like, the the way that that's okay is if, let's say you have, like, a beach cottage just up the up the way and like a little like one of those outdoor showers that they <laughs> have just up the way so you know like if it's like on the beach yeah 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 like when we were little we would get like a cottage on the beach to stay in or something mm-hmm. and that is the way to do the oh beach. do you know what's so great if you go to like um a resort that's on the beach yeah then you get off the beach you did you do the outdoor shower, outdoor shower and then you jump in the pool Oh, wow. That's nice. Mm-hmm. That's see, it, it, I feel like I, I do actually love the beach, but it has to be in specific conditions. Yeah. Because like just like as a New Yorker doing the beach, it's not that no. nice. It's no. really rough. It's like, like a pilgrimage. It's a pilgrimage. And you basically are agreeing to be covered in salt. Mm-hmm. Whatever human excrement is around sunscreen, sand. Uh, all like kind of mashed into one on your body. And yeah. then you have to take like a schlep home after being in the sun all day, Ugh. probably drinking. It's so hard. It's, it's the worst hangover you could even imagine. Like the, one of the, I don't even the know how I got home sometimes. Cause I'm I was su- just like dead. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, my liver issues that I just had were just right. Rebounds from several years. God, of- I would need like a drip. <laughs> yes. An ostomy bag. And uh- <laughs> Just like, just like, keep me in bed. Yeah, I, me, I like literally have me to be fed. Yeah, just it, it's bad. It's dangerous. The sun is dangerous. <laughs> it is. Got, it has gotten so much more summery. Yeah, it's like so hot. I got a friggin'. I don't. What do we want to call this? A '90s workout tan? Like, what do you even yeah. call with the, the bike short tan? I got this from sitting out on a covered patio one time. Right. Like once or like maybe you don't think it's built up over time. It could be like from Just sitting like from in parking the parking lot walks. It could be like sitting in the car because sometimes the car really like the windshield really like hits the leg. Uh huh. Do you put sunscreen on it? No, I should. <laughs> That's like really bad. You should. I put so much sunscreen on my like face and hands and stuff. But yeah. I, Do you I, put on your arms? I, I guess you I, have I, that I, Portuguese I, hair. So. Um, oh, 
do I have to talk about my arm hair? It's so funny because like you you just like talk about it a lot and it's like, are you going to keep it? OK, like, so like, let me just give a little background. Uh, genetically come from a family of just like very hairy lower arms. Uh-huh. And I think it's from my grandfather, the Portuguese side. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> and when I was younger, I shaved it. I hated it. It's like, um, you know who's famously has really hairy arms? Alyssa, Alyssa Milano. Milano. And I would akin them to an Alyssa Milano no, style. I don't think it's quite as dark. Uh, I beg to differ. It's not as dense. It's just, it's very lush and thick. And I've had it my whole life. Uh-huh. And I shaved it for a very long time. And then during the quarantine, I was basically like, why am I shaving my arms? And I wanted to see what would happen. So I grew out my arm <laughs> Yep. I can't even believe that that's like a sentence, but it is. And I have been like trying to come to terms with like the fact that I'm a mammal for like a long time now. And I feel like it's been a journey of you like of self-acceptance. Accepting it. And I really want to just keep it because I feel like I I have to keep it. Yeah. Like it's almost like against the patriarchy. At yeah. This like point. I, I like to encourage not shaving because like anything that big business has told me to do can't be good for me. Right. Like so for, as a woman, for example, I was trying to figure out like what the purpose of this arm hair was like genetically. Uh-huh. Like I was like, is it because it comes from people that were working outside and they needed protection? Yes. Like, or were they cold? Did they have cold? Low, were they fishermen and they had cold lower arm? I don't know. But I was in the car with the window open and a bug landed on me mm-hmm. and it couldn't get to my skin because it had gotten tangled in my arm hair. There you go. Like a spider's and web. That, and you didn't get malaria. And I have to say that really sold me. Yep. It was as if I was my own protective spider woman and instead of create like spitting out web i just have them covered in in arm hair (laughs) see so there's i think there is a very important purpose to all of our body hair i know and i'm wondering like armpit hair like we've been removing our armpit hair for fucking so long now i'm wondering Mm -hmm. you don't so i i have to i have to give you a lot of respect you have you're very good about really sticking to your guns against what it, big, it's hard though. Like sometimes I'm like, should you. I just shave it? Like, are, no, like, I like I, it. I'm, I'm like, are people grossed out by it? And then I'm like, I don't fucking care. You know what? It 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 looks nice on you. I think but it's like, really even if it cool. Didn't. Thank you. But, but I like, think because you own it, I think that's what it is. I think body hair removal is like kind of when you think about it, a lot. Yeah, like it's one thing to like trim you up do it, like, stuff. Every day. I know, trim up stuff and keep things, but like we're removing body hair that comes into our bodies. Yeah. It seems like for a reason. And then we decided to keep the one on the head. Right. So we keep the head hair. <laughs> and the face hair. We want a lot of eyelash and eyebrows. But not mustache Right. No. It's like very specific hair. Uh-huh. And it's just like, ab- if you think about it, like as animals, how effing ridiculous yeah. is that? Like that's ridiculous. That's not. It's bizarre. Like for what? Because they wanted to sell us razors. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, do you know that women used to not shave their legs in, in armpits? Yeah. I until mean, like recently. Yeah. I feel like it was like the turn of the century, like like the flapper era. Uh-huh. I feel like I'm not. This is completely conjecture. I have no idea if this is the history, but I feel like shaving didn't start until like we started wearing short skirts and they were like, let me let's think of things we can make women feel insecure about so that they buy stuff. So, you know, that thing that we saw that was like when times are more prosperous in a, a country or like a, a nation mm-hmm. um, then people find 
less masculine features on men attractive. They're like less attracted to like masculine things. Right. Right. So like, let me see, make sure I got like that. The correlation is like a if, pros- it, if you are a prosperous like country or nation, okay. civilization, civilization, okay. then um, people are less likely to be attracted to like masculine features. Yeah, that's really interesting. So like, what's the correlation there with like ladies? I mean, we can do a little guess and check here. I'm thinking has to do with like everyone's being provided for and like this like farce of like uber masculinity yeah, yeah, yeah. being the provider but doesn't question, really exist in that. But my question is like for if like the roar in 20s is when we started shaving our legs like why? Yeah, I'm not is, really is it, sure. Is it com- does and it, I also that's I don't know if that's is true. It conversely <laughs> affect does it conversely affect women? Does that you know what I mean? That's my question comment below. Oh, you mean like on the other side of things, yeah, people yeah, yeah. who are attracted to feminine like, people are like people hyper feminized in those times as well. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Or does it all kind of become neutralized? I think all of it is all of the ways that gender has been expressed has been some sort of society putting yeah. a, a box and a label on it for I mean whatever we're all reason born naked and the rest is drag we're all everything uh, yes. gender is drag oh yeah <laughs> absolutely at the end of the day like this is just like the the flesh suit that i have yeah like a hundred percent it's like so wild to me that things are gendered it actually is it's like and like we don't even have a country where our language like genders inanimate objects I know. Although, are these inanimate objects actually conscious? Okay, wait. So that's something else <laughs> that we've been hearing. Just because like we can't perceive it or measure it, we don't know that inanimate objects don't have a consciousness. Yeah. We don't know that. That's yep. that's a lot for me. Yeah. So just like sit with that. I don't I'm, know where to take that really. I don't know. Just realizing things. The article was kind of just like open-ended. It was like, yeah, here's like an idea. I mean, I've also read the article where plants are screaming. So, like, yeah, I'm for not sure. No, really, they are. I really hope my plants are not screaming. I think some of them need like bigger um, pants. Well, we gotta go. I gotta go to the store. Are pots pants or are they houses? Comment below. <laughs> are pots skirts and are plants therefore? Are pots women skirts? Are they p- women? Well, we know for sure that some plants are female or male. Based Wasn't it on your sister things. telling us that like we? breeded out like uh female trees and that's why our allergies are worse yes what was it what was it was something about like in the 70s or 80s i'm please do not quote me on this this is like you know i heard it from jocelyn's sister and i am not good at recalling facts you don't remember yeah but something to the gist of like they were they were breeding like uh male trees more for some reason yeah what was the reason i forget but it ended up like making our allergies worse. Is it because the female trees kept getting their periods? Yeah, they were too hysterical. They were bitchy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it, they basically like spit out all this pollen, and it's not going anywhere. So they just like make a bunch of pollen, and yeah. that's why classic male trees. I think there was a, a lot of like <laughs> things that are like really fucking with us now and tomorrow, or just like people looking for like short term solutions. Yeah, the things that are bad are because people made choices without thinking. Yeah, and. It, we can't accept literally 
anything that we do on an institutional level, we cannot accept it because it has all been arbitrarily made up like, for somebody's benefit I that know. is not our benefit. Like, think about like breakfast, for example. Breakfast. Like all of this shit is like marketing. That was big breakfast yeah. with friggin' cereal. Industry. I mean, we were we watched like a snick block on Saturday. Which, oh like, yes, had like the commercials. They have on and, YouTube. You can watch like actual yeah. snick blocks from the nineties and like. Every commercial was for like a breakfast food for kids. We were getting served <laughs> like from last week's podcast drinks. Yeah. Br- cereal. The cereal, so cereal industry in. And it's crazy because, because we, we, what, we have like wheat and corn. That's like what it's big corn. How about the fact corn that syrup? Yeah. The fact that cereal has been so ingrained in us as like amazing. Mm-hmm. I keep buying corn pops every fiscal quarter. Yep. Only to remember yep. that it gives me a really bad stomach yeah. ache. That's how deep this is. Ins- I'm like, I gotta have my pops, I, my pops. I think to myself. And then you got them. I was like, and it twitched something in my brain mm-hmm. that was not usual. I was like, huh. Why did she get corn pops? Why haven't we been, been getting corn pops? Why did she get them now? Mm-hmm. This seems weird. And, and then was. I ate some and I was violently ill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Unlike anything I've ever seen. I don't think I can have like processed corn. I don't think you can either. So that's something I have to deal I with. I mean, can you have regular corn? You like um, what's it called? What? Uh, the the Mexican restaurants corn chips? No, the <laughs> corn with the mayo and the and the cojita cheese. Uh, cotija. Cotija. Sorry. Um. Yes, Esquites. it's with taste. Yes, esquites. I do. I yeah, love we it. like that. That's good. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know how much it's doing for my digestion. Yeah, when you eat popcorn, it's like a nightmare, too. Oh, popcorn hurts my belly, too. You know what? I can't have corn. You know what, though? Gonna eat corn still. I <laughs> can't, can't. Can't stop, won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, if I'm gonna have the arm hair, at least yeah. I have to have yeah. popcorn. But like, it's just these concepts are actually making me feel insane. Totally. But like, kind of in a good way. I don't know how to describe that when it's just like. Oh, I'm realizing everything is arbitrary and I actually can do whatever I want. Oh, yeah. And like daylight savings is actually um, like a what was it? It was like the cereal industry. It's actually not for farmers at all. It's, it's like it's not. It's, it's for, all marketing. It's wait, like, wait, what industry was it for? Golfing. Yeah, it was golfing. You guys, golfing. Daylight savings time has is lobbied by the golfing industry because yeah, they could get like an extra like two hundred million dollars from an extra that extra hour, hour of golf time. For like three months. It, that. So the reason that we all do this thing that we all loathe is because of golfing. Yep. So that the golfing industry I can make. I have a worded letter that I want to write to the sport of golf. Oh my! Uh, how much golf. did we spend on it collectively last in the last four years right. as a nation? A billion dollars. I know. So forty five could go golfing. Right. I I'm, I'm sick of golf. It's unbelievable. It's not even fun. <laughs> it's hot. You it, look stupid. <laughs> Unless you're wearing like Happy Gilmore clothes, because that's actually hockey clothes, which are sick. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I I have no there's no shame in like enjoying a game of golf. I think that that's fine. But if the golf is becoming a problem in some way where no. like you're making an entire world of people Sorry, change their sucks. time. You know what's fun, though? Hmm. Top golf. That's that kind fun. of golfing, I guess. I have to say, I regular like, eight, I like mini golf, too. Imagine doing 18 holes of golf. That's like a seven hour ordeal. Me personally. I the tan lines that I would have would be I wouldn't be able to be seen in public. No. Or private. You would have to wear a very specific costume. Like a full beekeeping. Do you remember suit. those bathing suits in Sky Mall that were like, you won't get tan lines? And they were like no. this weird mess. You know so much about Sky Mall. I memorized Sky Mall. You did a lot of traveling as a kid, so you have a I big love Sky, Sky Mall thing. 
you know what is a fun fact when elena and i first met we were like put on this improv team and the first scene that we did together was about sky mall yeah so it's like it feels very familiar to me the, it's home it's our it's our home i guess now it's the, it's the root of our relationship i just like love a catalog i love catalogs my mom and i used to like after we would have dinner she would make us tea and we would drink tea and look at all of our catalogs together Ugh. and listen to annie lennox like all i want to do like somebody needs to make a company where they get like dead stock catalogs from like Delia's oh, yeah. and alloy and they send them to like old millennials who are like wicked upset yeah and we can just like look at them and feel good mm-hmm. and i, I mean, also honestly like ll bean i love ll bean east bay yep i love getting those old lady catalogs that yeah. i get i get these catalogs addressed to somebody named ethel drew and we have no idea why yeah there's no one named ethel in my family no one has ever lived in this place before us yeah so the universe has given me a baby grandma name and yeah. her name is Ethel Drew. And once in a blue, I'll get those catalogs where it's like, do you need this catheter system? Yes. And a leather lazy boy. <laughs> it's leopard print. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, I do. I absolutely yeah, do. It definitely piques your interest. I'm interested. I, I like a lot. Of, like, you know how like you love like equipment for like sports? Yeah. Like you love the gear. Yeah. I love like, um, old lady gear. Yeah, you do. I'm like, oh, oh, medical wedge pillow. Yes. Yes. You like prescription things. I like prescription clothing. <laughs> um, there is some. I really do. Yeah, you do. Like when I guess I like rules for me. Like if I can find something that works medically, but is also cute, I feel like I won. So, like, yeah. for example, like if I needed to buy like a, a, a house shoe, uh-huh. a new slipper because my knees are feeling funny. I would find the right now, like a grandma level slipper, but like it's like a golden girl slipper, a golden girl slipper, but it has like featheries on it. Not real feathers, but like, you know, uh-huh. mirror, whatever that is. Well, I mean, your grandmother did lay the groundwork for you. She was like she, she liked nice stuff. She liked nice stuff, but she also liked it to be like comfortable, and functional. Yeah. So I know I have a bit of that. I feel like if your grandmother were a millennial, she'd be like an influencer. I love that. I love that for her. But not an annoying one. She was one. a teacher, so I mean, a in a way, she was one of those a, curators. In a way, she was like influencing That's true. the youth. Wait, speaking of Annie Lennox, we uh, we did ourselves a favor and watched striptease. We wa- I ne- had never seen it. Me neither. Um, it was great. Yeah, I loved it. Erin <laughs> Grant. I loved it. Oh my god, she looks amazing. Yeah, Demi like, Moore looks absolutely unbelievable, and she does like such good white girl dancing. Yeah, she she was like it's, she's really selling. And it. she well, I, the, the reason I made that connection is because she only dances to Annie Lennox. I love a choice which is like that. So perfect. It felt like I knew who she was as a person. Yeah, it, I actually thought it was like. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, like her first dance was to like, money can't buy it, baby. And like, she has like a boa. She tells a story. She like rips the shirt off in that iconic moment. And she has like those like 90s Amazing 90s bangs. I thought you were going to say 90s boob job because it was just iconic. And she looks insane. She looks so good. She looks, you know why I like it? Because she looks strong. Yeah. Like, I she mean, she's doing look, like crazy. Yeah. Stuff. Like she doesn't look like, oh, like 90s, like skinny waif yeah. thing. Like she looks like she works out. Yeah. Like her her quads are like popping. I the love whole that. Time. I like a strong look. I, I think good for her. And like this movie was probably like 95 or something. Sure. And basically the story is that. Um, that was just your Demi <clears throat> Moore voice coming in. Um, I'm Molly from Ghost. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's it called? Burt Reynolds plays this congressman. When, when he first came on, I was like, is that Burt 
Yeah, MF I mean, Reynolds. he doesn't have a mustache, so it was very confusing. It was hard, yep. But he plays this congressman who basically comes to the strip club and, like, becomes obsessed with her. This yeah. is not really, like, the full plot. But the point of it is, is that even striptease knew how fucking ridiculous congressmen were. Like, if yes. you watch this movie, he is just, like, yep. such a perfect Florida congressman. Oh, yeah. Like, this isn't new, this Matt Gates bullshit. No. It was We've been very, new. It was very much, like, men are pigs. So can was we please do something movie. about it? <laughs> and then Demi Moore's actual daughter, I think it's Rumor. It's Rumor. Isn't it? Yeah, Bruce she Willis plays her daughter rumor. and they look so much alike. It's yeah. like so cute. It's, it's very like cute. just so cute to me that it's her daughter. Yeah. I'm so easy to impress. <laughs> like, it's her real daughter. <laughs> oh my God. Like, at the end of the day, like, at the end of the day, vibes. It's just simple things for me, love. Can you believe we're getting Love Island on June 28th? Nothing has been getting me through my life more than. Well, first of all, the life-changing surgery I'm going to have. Uh-huh. But the fact that I get to watch Love Island yeah. while healing. Yes. And uh. let's, not, let's not forget that Love Island is on every single day. If you guys have not ever watched the UK series Love Island, it you is... You gotta watch it. ...my favorite show. I think a lot of people are on it, but, like, if you're not, it's so fun. It's like, how, how do the people in the US watch it? I think on Hulu. Do they have it like going like li- not oh, live? No. I think maybe it's, it's like, like a, a day, day later. Delayed. That's right. I just 10 out of 10, you guys so have we, to watch it. We got it. the VPN. We're watching that shit live. It's wild because you start watching the series and it's just like, is it like, I don't even know how many, a f- handful of men and women. I think and it's like six or five and five or six and six. Five okay. and five. From the, they're from the UK and they send them to somewhere typically in Spain, yeah. like Marbella or something. And they're all just like, I'm just here looking for love. I want to find a man who's a bit of me, who's good at batter, who has a chat. And at the end of the day, it's just someone who will love me. And like, that's Ugh, the, so you first mesmerizing. You first watch it and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, these gender roles. It's like so ridiculous. Like I, I, everyone's there, is in pri- there is a prize at the end. Yes, you can. So the, the there is a goal. That, yeah, the couple that makes it to the end wins i think like a, 50k or something is it like no it's like a million dollars like a hundred thousand dollars no um but you start you at first you're like this is so ridiculous yeah but but because you're watching these people every day it's on for like an hour every day yeah and like literally it's just there's just cameras all over this villa right. you filming kind, them you kind of like get to see them as like a real whole person yeah and you fall in love with these people and they like build these really nice relationships with each other yes it is different like there was a u.s love island and it didn't really hit for me no because like <clears throat> i just find like the brits are just so much they less just have like a different they're less macho. like competitive there's such a competitive yeah. nature within the united states yeah like, even when you watch like uk drag race versus u.s drag oh my race God. i think we've talked about yeah. this before it's or like, like Bake Off. It's oh, Bake Off is a prime example. Like yeah. a Bake Off in America would be like, well, it's Cutthroat Kitchen. Cutthro- yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's Cutthroat Kitchen versus your nan you in a, a tent, yeah. right? Like it's just different. But Love Island, like I think it's a really good example of don't judge people, right? And you got to learn, like really, like people are not like one moment. There's there's so many different things. Yeah. And like by the end of it, even somebody in the beginning, you're like, oh, she's driving me crazy. Or oh, he's not nasty. Mm-hmm. You start to like feel like actually I, I have empathy for this person. Yeah. And like it's crazy. It's a crazy it's ride. Wild. And I just love it. It's entertaining every time too. Like they keep changing things up. They'll throw people in like right when they need to. Mm-hmm. Like it's so great. They keep you on your toes. It's a 10 out of 10 show. Yeah. It's and the fact that it's going to be back for the summer. I'm going to be wearing a compression bra in an elevated state with my medical <laughs> pillow. And I will be watching. Housing edibles. Love. 
island. <laughs> yeah, so that's been really getting me through. Yeah. You know what else we just watched? What? We, we've been watching kind of like old stuff that like either one of us have maybe missed or we want to watch again uh-huh. um, because Elena had never seen Murder by Numbers starring Sandra Bullock, Michael Pitt and Ryan Gosling. Uh-huh. The fact that I got all their names out right now, I'm very proud of myself because I would be like, what's his name? Um, uh, Michael Pitt will always hold space in your brain. Well, that's because of that time in Brooklyn. Yeah. When we were at, was it the Lobster Pound? What was it yeah, called? Yeah, something like that. Lobster? It was like the, the lobster place in Red Hook. Yeah, the, where you get lobster rolls. Yeah, So I'm we went si- to Ikea. We went to Ikea and then we were like, let's get lobster rolls. Yeah. Also, for the record, I think lobster rolls are overrated and I'm from New England. Oh, shit. I think. Shots fired. I think they're, I'm not, I don't love lobster as you know, much as I love crab and shrimp. You know, it's, shrimp. It's it, not a good texture Shrimp's where it's at. But you're right. Shrimps are better than lobster. Hot take. Mm-hmm. But- if Imagine you, a crab roll, how good that would be. Like uh, lump crab with like a little bit of mayo yeah. and chive and okay. lemon yeah. in a in a buttered bun. That would be better to me personally okay. than rubbery lobster claws. Get your rubbery lobster you tips away from me. You have to get a good one. If they're good, though, they're. Yeah, that's what it is I, about lobster. You know what I'm so sick of? Like underseasoned lobster rolls. Right. And it should be buttery, buttery, salty, that mayo tang. And I'm a mayo bitch. Mm hmm. I fucking love mayonnaise. Yeah. I don't get not liking mayonnaise. I understand, I guess, maybe if you think it, like, looks kind of icky, but it tastes so good. It's it's the ideal condiment. I love mayonnaise. And it mixes so well with shit, like garlic and ketchup, and, like, you can just put it with anything. I wonder if you're going to make the title of this episode, I love mayonnaise. <laughs> I love mayonnaise. <laughs> wait, wait, what was I saying? Oh, Michael well, we Pitt. went to see Michael Pitt. No, we didn't. <laughs> I did not go to see Michael Pitt. But also, he, he holds space in your brain because he's in Hedwig. Right. With his lips. The, he has so many lips. He's like um, if Leonardo DiCaprio got stung by a bunch of bees. <laughs> that's like accurate as hell. <laughs> I do think he's cute. Um, but that's like. there. You it. know that there is like a demographic of people who think Michael Pitt is like 10 out of 10. I'm sure. They're, he's like their number he's one. He's not bad looking. He's like, I get that he's like very There's like cute. a niche. Yeah. I think he's cute. But this. Now, this is why I don't like Michael Pitt that much. And he was actually completely polite to me, but I'm a fucking bitch. So this is what <laughs> happened. We went to this place. We got lobster rolls. And the way that you sit, it's like on like a bench. Like picnic tables. Like big kinda, picnic yeah. tables. And it's super duper crowded. And so you and I are sitting there and it's so they're messy. It's yeah. hard to eat this messy sandwich. I'm going to call it a sandwich. In retrospect, I would not do this again. It's just messy. You yeah. need to. I need to be outside on the beach where I can then go take an outdoor shower and yeah. then jump in the pool. Yeah. Lobster rolls and the beach kind of all go in the same category. Mm-hmm. They're, they're messy as hell. Um, so I'm like trying to eat my lobster roll. And like we had just been to Ikea. So I think we were really zazzed. Yeah. Nothing puts you into a, a specific headspace like an Ikea trip. It's uh-huh. pretty scary in yeah. there. Um, just like the prospect of seeing a Billy bookcase. Bi- get the You got to get the Billy bookcase. Yeah. Everyone's leaving with at least one Billy bookcase. Um, cheat hack? Hack? Life hack. That's what you call uh-huh. it. Um, Billy, a Billy bookcase on a side. Yep. Becomes a really good console for like a TV. Yep. And that's on living in Manhattan oh, for yeah. a long time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we're sitting there and I'm trying to like eat my lobster roll. And then I get like a tap on my shoulder. And I literally was like, do not. I'm in the middle. It was like it was like interrupting a dog that was starving. Uh-huh. Like, don't bother don't, don't dogs touch. when they eat. Yeah. And like I was like mid bite. And he was like, hey, sorry, excuse me. I'm just trying to get through. And I like looked up and I was like. 
You were like, oh, <laughs> I was like, okay. And then I had to turn back around. I was like, that wasn't Michael fucking Pitt. <laughs> and he was with Dustin Hoffman's son. Yeah. Yes. And we were both like, ugh. We were like, he was perfectly polite. Yeah, but like, but I, would, I just touch me don't. when I'm housing the, my lobster roll. <laughs> it was, it was really intimate. And like, yeah. I feel like he kind of came into it. It was not consensual. It wasn't, <laughs> he was, could not have been nicer. I was not nice. And don't touch me when I'm eating my lobster rolls. Just blanket statement. The first time I ate lobster, I cried. And that's our show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Thank you for coming and listening. And it wasn't in a good way. <laughs> I it wasn't like, happy tears. I like, so my whole thing with like food is like. Wait, can I guess? Very texture based. Yeah. Oh, okay. It was a texture based cry. It's a texture based cry. I thought maybe that um, it was at like some sort of like John Candy uh, seafood place. <laughs> Oh, summer rental reference. Yeah. Nice. And you like picked out the lobster. No, I wasn't having any of that. Because I could see crying over that. That could happen I might to start me. crying just thinking about it right now. Oh my God, you're <laughs> such a cancer. The thought of your, my people. Your people. <laughs> um, so we I, we were staying at my Annie Marie's up in Wells, Maine. Annie Marie. Annie Marie, who is my grandmother's first cousin. You guys have those when you just, everyone's an auntie. If there's just a, cousin, a generation above you. Yeah. So we were staying at her cottage, a beautiful cottage, like right on the beach. Mm. And everyone was going to get lobsters. And my sister and I were like, no, thanks. But I was like, okay, I'm, I don't even know how old I was, like nine or 10. I actually have no idea how old I was. Something that like that. And I was like, I'm going to try a lobster. And my grandmother's <gasps> like, okay, we're going to go and pick out a lobster and you're going to try it. Okay. Like she was wow. excited for me. So like we went with Annie Marie. I think it was just me and my grandmother. This is literally an episode Marie. of like Pen15. <laughs> me and my Grammy, Annie Marie, went to the lobster place and we got lobsters and like they were cooking them. I was getting myself all zazz. I was like, I'm going to have it with my baked potato. And we like set it all up and we got the bibs and the butter. Mm. And I made the fatal mistake. And I blame everyone in my family who has eaten lobster to not tell me that I made this mistake. My very first bite was the tip of the claw. Ooh, that's not a great bite. No, it's not the best bite. It's not the selling bite. It was, I mean, somebody should have given me a very small piece of tail. Honestly, you should have just had a lobster roll to start. Right. And that should have just been it. I went in You should have just like taken a shot of butter and then just like take it and then just like swallowed the the crab. It's like lobster. A shot full of butter. You know what I also don't like? Mm. Well, I don't mind lobster, but I dislike um, oysters. Yeah, no, it's not for me. I think it's like. um, I don't like it. I think it's not real. Like the hype around it. I don't think people actually like it. I don't get it. I think it's like a hype thing. I or like a flex. Are you supposed to chew them? No. I'm sorry. What? Yes, you are. It's supposed to just like slide down your little throat. So you're just. I mean, you're supposed to be like. They're not. You're not like chewing you're like a it. seagull. I've had a fried oyster that I love. That's different. Remember we had Anything those fried, fried oyster sliders. Works. Yeah, those were insane. Those you chew. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm imagine not- trying to shoot a fried oyster. That <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of anything scarier. No, but just to finish up my story, I burst into tears because I think I had just like wanted to like it. I wanted to like the You're whole. You were just so disappointed. Yeah, I wanted to be crack the things, and they were like you had like built up a big event in your brain too. Yeah. It seems like it was like a big deal, and um, and you I, hated it. I hated it. I'm so sorry. But like I've eaten lobster since then, and I'm, it's fine. Like I lobster. like lobster. I like lobster bisque. Ooh, a lobster bisque is good. Like, I do like a really good lobster tail. Like, yes. But, like, I do not like claw meat. Fuck. You're also, like, it's, it's not gross. something that you're going to order. No, I wouldn't order it. If it was, like, maybe at a table, you would have a bite. But, like, yeah. you're I'm not. I'm very weird about food. 
I just like want to eat potatoes and bread. What about rice? I'll eat rice. Cool. I'll eat any carbohydrate. That's what I'm made of. I'm made of yeah. pure potatoes. Donuts, cookies, <laughs> cake, macaroons. Anytime I try to eat salad, I get sick. Anytime I try to eat anything too rough. And I eat salad all the time, but I know it's going to make my stomach hurt. I can't handle the roughage, Elena. Yeah. My people were meant to eat potatoes in, with stewed One meats, time a year. Once a year. <laughs> <laughs> and then their bodies would hold on to the fat. Yeah. And that was how we did it. And now I have to eat like edamame and it's just uh-huh. like, I'm, I have IBS. Yeah. And not, not the other kind. It's like literally like a drop of corn syrup will make you explode. It does. It makes my tummy hurt. I, I think I'm only, <laughs> I'm only supposed to eat like vinegar. <laughs> the Eastern European. Yeah. And like Chinese yeah, too. Yeah, that's There's true. A lot of yeah, you do well with uh, vinegar-based foods. Although you don't really I don't love, particularly like, like briny it. stuff. No, I don't. Which is probably why you don't like oysters. Yeah. Because okay. they're kind of briny. They're also, like, hideous and gross. Do you know what that makes me think of? Briny. It's lovely bobbing along, bobbing along at the bottom of the beautiful briny sea. What is that? Bedknobs and broomsticks. I also, like, I uh, was a little bit flat there, so I'm very sorry. Wow. <laughs> I couldn't remember how it went. That was great. It's when they're in the bed on the ocean floor and it's a oh, cartoon wait, yeah, okay. ocean. I remember and For this. some reason they can breathe because it's magic. I remember this. Yep. Um, that's what Briny makes me think of. Oh, of yeah, but we watched, we watched Murder by Numbers, uh, which was the point of that. Michael uh-huh. Pitt tangent. And I, it's one of my favorites. It's just a classic 90s. Thing. Sandra mm-hmm. Bullock is one of my favorites. She kills it. She is in so many good things. She's solid. She's so German. I just love her so much that her her existence in Murder by Numbers is like every woman's fantasy, um, except for like, you know, all the, the bad fact things that she that was happened. attacked. Yes. But like she's basically is a detective who lives by herself on a houseboat. Right. Eating cookies, eating cookies drinking and wine, like listening to Cheryl Crow and solving crime. Yeah. Like she like comes home and like opens a crime folder and listens to like all I want to do. Yeah. I think that's that sounds great. 10 out of 10 for me. God, the 90s were just so delicious yeah. and different. Ryan Gosling is like a character, isn't he? Yeah, like, I don't know who he really What's is. What's going on there? I don't know. I Is he, he had any issues come out? I like, yeah, don't I've know. Yeah, I've heard like, like, I mean, I don't know anything for like, uh, solid. But yeah. I get the sense that he's like controlling. But I don't know if that's true. Like, like, I haven't this, really seen anything. There's like this group of like older millennial male actors. I'm going to put like Shia LaBeouf in there. Uh-huh. I'm going to put Gosling in there. Well, you know, my sh- I'll, I'll get to my Shia LaBeouf theory after What's this. that other guy's name? Who is Army Hammer? <laughs> no, that is like a Shia LaBeouf. Miles Teller. Miles Teller. Thank you. They're like, they take this craft of acting like too far, too far. Like you're it's a narcissistic. Well, so I have a theory they're, about Shia They're like, oh, I'm so yeah. in character. I'm going to be abusive Like, I can be an people. asshole all the time. Right. You know who else did that famously is, um, what's his name? <laughs> Hi, guys. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> and we're going to talk about who's it's and what's I need, it's. I need a little bit more information. You know what's so funny is that we just watched a TikTok where, um, what's his name was trying to remember his name. <laughs> what? Jocelyn, this is a puzzle. <laughs> Mandy Patinkin. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, Christian Bale. Bale. Christian Bale. <laughs> he's he's Gen X. He's older now. Yeah, but like, remember that thing of him oh, like screaming? flipping out? Yeah. What is that? Who what? acts 
like that. I know. I'm so in character. It's like this method acting and it make you like they take it too far. You know, our um our son Thomas Cruz has done it several times. Oh yeah. Well we know. Tom Cruise. I know is I had to nuts. scold him. <laughs> but you know what? I don't ever hear anything about okay, great example. Meryl Streep being a big bitch. And she's the best actor ever and the subject of today's deep dive, yeah. which is very exciting. No, she's like very funny. Wait, I, can I tell my um, Shia LaBeouf like concept? Absolutely. So I think Shia LaBeouf's entire acting career is a version of self-harm. OK. Because if you look at his oeuvre. Oh, nice. Every role that he has done since like even Stevens has been so intense and it requires so much of him emotionally and physically right. that like. He has made himself like, I don't know if it's like a chicken and an egg thing, like mental illness and right. And like taking these roles or and like well, we know having he had a very de- abusive child. Yeah. But like, yeah. I do think it kind of has been degrading his mental health even more, like yeah. taking on these roles. I think it's like a version of self-harm. I 100 percent agree. And what my proof is bringing that to the case is the Heath Ledger story. Mm. Heath Ledger famously went so deep to play the, the role of the joker yeah and it was very good yes to be fair but it killed him yeah and that's like what people say is like he got so into being like he made himself crazy basically yeah. he like did the th- he like behaved in a very unwell manner to get into that headspace mm-hmm. and like it worked of course but like at what cost at what cost and i have to say like i'm not here to like at the end of the day, they're just movies and TV. But you know, to us, it means so much more than that because it's art, it's art and it helps you express yourself. But like, how far is too far for art? And like, is there a way to do it without hurting yourself? And are you doing it right if you hurt yourself? Because like, again, I bring up a woman like Meryl, uh-huh. who is literally, and I'm sorry, this is not arguable. She's a, one of the best actors ever. Uh-huh. She doesn't do that. She's not like, I mean, that we know of. She seems well. Uh Uh-huh. So I'm just like, what is happening? Or is it almost like this thing of this famous actor went so meta for this? Like, oh, like um, in Taxi Driver. Uh Uh-huh. What's his name? Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro. Thank you. So you guys, I can't remember names. Robert De Niro, like, I think was like, you know, really in it and plays a very like kind of mentally ill character Uh and like i wonder if there's almost this romanticizing with male actors that they have to do this like uber meta like deeply cut like again like emotional cutting yeah like to give you this performance it's almost like how like even physical even the current joker role it's physical too with what's his name joaquin i'm never gonna say the names again joaquin phoenix i'm like enabling it You're like making it so that my brain won't look for it. Yeah. I basically have so much shit in there that like it's too much. I need a Virgo to come in here and clean it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I gotta go on with this. It's just bad. It's just family. I can't remember anything. But um, yeah, I completely agree with your thesis on that. I think it's like it's a way for him to explore something in an unhealthy way. Yeah. And it is physical, too, because like a lot of his roles, he ends up. It's like punching walls, you know, like he ends up doing that shit on like an acting level. Right. Or like whether it's gaining and losing excessive amounts of weight right. or like, you know, there's like Thomas, so many. Thomas Maypother Cruz does stuff like that. Yeah. Didn't he actually like hold his breath for like three minutes or something? And uh, I think that's like a different that to me is like um like adrenaline chasing. 
Yeah. Again, though, I think which it's is like a different still thing, a different like, thing. It's a thing. Yeah. Like, oh, we actually had him hang off of a plane. Yeah. Tom. Well, like, if he wants to do it, I guess he's not so. But like, anybody. I actually think it might. Like, what? Like, give those roles to people that are. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, what about all his, the sun doubles? In the yeah, world? but like, it's dangerous for them too. And I bet the insurance costs so much money. Oh yeah. And I know for a fact that he has gotten hurt doing these things, and then it holds up production for several months, and they waste money on it. Wow. And that money could have gone to something better than Tom Cruise proving something because. That he's not 5'6". Yeah, that he thinks he's because of societal standards. Again, who fucking cares? Yeah. You know? Poor guy. I have a man's amount of arm hair traditionally on my arms. (laughs) More than. More than a man's hair. More than some man's (laughs) hair to me. (laughs) It's just lush. I wish that like all my hair on my head was this lush. Is it? Yeah. You just like were bleaching it for a long time. Yeah, I believed I kind of like made it a little thin. Whoopsie doopsies. Well, she's coming back strong. Um, I just got a whiff of the candle of the day, so I wanted to just quickly light that so the I can candle of the day. I can uh, smell it in a ho- the hot manner. The candle of the day. There's a cold manner of smelling and a hot oh. manner of smelling, and they are different, oh, but they the are legend related. Of cold manner. <laughs> So since Elena is doing Meryl Streep as her deep dive today mm-hmm. in honor of her Her birthday role. is coming up. Yep, her birthday is coming up. And I wanted to just keep going on this Abba Mama the Mia Mama train. The Mia train. So I, can- I wasn't ready to get off. I'm not. I'm never getting off. Um, so the candle of the day is Donna, sea salt, and pink sand. Let me read the scent breakdown. Break, break down. Skip it down. Okay, salty waves kiss warm pink sands. An ocean breeze mingles with lavender and pedigrain, a crown of soft white florals fit for a dancing queen. I mean. Now, this one is just so great. Everyone who has received this candle already is like, oh, my God, it's like summer in a jar. And it is. It smells like the best beachy. I want to eat this. Yeah. Oh, I want to put it all over my body and just it smells so good. Yeah. I love it. You know, we initially made this as limited edition. We always bring out this size candle as limited edition, but we're definitely going to have to bring it back because I can't get rid of it personally. Yeah. And everyone seems to be People loving it. People love it. I'm going to light it up. I'm going to do a light. So are there just like light rumors that there's going to be a Mamma Mia 3? Yes. But that's yes. it, right? It's basically like everyone involved will do it, but they haven't confirmed anything. Here's what no I think dates. it should be and will be. Okay. I think it's going even further back in time to show us the share Sophie story with Fernando. The shared Donna story? Isn't her name Sophie in the... Is her name Sophie? No, that's the daughter. Yes. Sorry. Cher's it's, name... What's her name in it? Ruby. Ruby. Yes. Damn it. Um... It doesn't matter because we really her don't. Name share. Her name is I Cher. I think it's going to be the Cher and Fernando story. I think that you're right. Yeah. I think that that would be like, I want to see young Ruby Sheridan mm-hmm. flashbacks with Sh- from Cher, like young Cher. Yes. And then her daughter being Donna. Yeah. And I want to see that story. That With oh, all the same songs. I, I That would be like, if they want to call, if Abba wants to call me, if Benny Bjorn want to call me and you. And Benny just, Bjorn. Get like it's a, me, Helena. I'll do it for free. I'll consult for free. No, you won't. She says that now. I already have a contract on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, yeah, I think that's what it would have to be. Yeah. Because like, I'm not really interested. I don't want to see like Sophie and her. What does she name her baby? Meryl Streep's. That's right. 
She named her baby Meryl Streeps. <laughs> That's his name, Fernando. Can you imagine? Sky! <laughs> imagine um, someone named Sky Jr. Sky Jr. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, I like the name Sky, but I think there's just one in a generation or two. I think the name's... <laughs> Did you like the movie Flight Plan? Oh, yes. This was another one that we went back on. We were like, let's watch Flight Plan again. Yeah. Because we couldn't remember if we had seen it. And we, then up until like the credits, we were still like, have we seen this? And I had seen it because I re- <laughs> then when they when they showed her daughter, I was uh, like, I've I remember, and it wasn't I Kristen rem- Stewart. I, I was like, it. I haven't seen anything. Yeah. <laughs> when Jodie Foster's daughter isn't Kristen Stewart and anything like yeah. nothing's real. Jodie Foster loves to play a single mom. Jodie Foster. Um, Lil Man Tate. Yeah. Flight Plan. She don't she don't need no daddy. And Panic Room are three to come that come to mind where she's a single mom. There you go. And uh, she's doing her best, okay? So my takeaway from Flight Plan is that um, this movie came out like in 1996. Yeah. And... I think it's later than that. Oh, yeah. It's post 9-11. It's like 2003. Yeah. Um, 2000 late. <laughs> is it? Is it post 9-11? Yeah, because they like reference it. It's 2005. Wait, can I just read this to you? It's a 2005 German-American psychological thriller mystery film. So... Wow. It's not really German, but I don't remember sure. it being German. I mean, they were just like in Germany in the beginning. Uh, OK. But anyway, this plane is like from 2005. Yeah. I have seen no improvements in planes. We have not improved planes in, in 16 years. I would say at least the last 20. This plane that's in this movie is nicer than any plane I've ever been on. Yes. To the state. They haven't done any updates on planes. Like going back to the comfort of a Lincoln town car. Yeah. Why are we not putting more effort into making planes they're just actually, a like, bit more comfortable. They're doing the opposite. No, they're making it worse. Like, we're going to be standing like yeah. chattel. Like, is yes. chattel a word? What's chattel? Ch- what is chattel? Like chattel slavery? What? I gotta look it up. Is it like when you're chained? Yes. That's what it is. I, I mean cattle. <laughs> chattel seems inappropriate. Yeah. Um, We're just like going to be in like a, a tube and we just stand into it and we like uh, strap ourselves yeah. in standing like that. Like a ride, like that at, that ride six flags. at Six Flags. Exactly. And there isn't going to be a plane around us. It's just going to be like a roller coaster piece that flies through the air. Nope. Exactly. And, we, and we're going to get like a mask. Yeah. They're, you're going to have to put something up your ass yeah. so that you stay in <laughs> yeah, place. Yeah, everything for you. <laughs> up your ass. Jocelyn is convinced that the next phase of technology is going to be putting everything in her ass. <laughs> is like we went from apple watches it's gonna be an anal insert yeah. i know it i know it it's gonna be like the eye butt i know i'm not really it reads sure everything why. it, it re- tells you what you can it, and shouldn't eat yeah it's gonna tell you everything it's gonna it's gonna be like don't eat that corn doopy yeah <laughs> the eye hole what do you think they're gonna call it the rectum i barely touched them yeah sphinx eye sphinxed <laughs> I think I came up with something very accurate. This German-American thriller. <laughs> I think I had way more details about it before when I was talking about it. It was like, oh, you charge yourself at night. Basically, you become the computer. The and wh- I think that our buttholes are going to be the port that like we plug everything you into. You. Mm-hmm. Makes perfect good. sense. Yeah, it does. It's the natural progression. Know, like, now that I think about it, you know how like in the Matrix, it's like a plug in the back of your head. It would be it in the butt. It should be hole. in your butt. 
Because, like, you have access to not only the spinal cord, which goes directly to the brain. Yeah. We have access to the GI, the GI tract. Like, it's just it makes sense to go right in the butt. And I just think, um, I mean, it, it will hold it in place naturally. Uh-huh. So that's just going to be what's happening with technology. Mark my words. Mark my words. <laughs> if we can survive the next few years as a as a globe, as a place, as a world, uh-huh. it'll be buttholes. And then that will probably be the end. <laughs> yeah. Imagine the stupid shit that they would sell us if we had the bo- Oh, get the pop socket. <laughs> oh, my God. There would be like some glove involved. Like. There, yeah, there would be a special glove. Uh, have the a, like, a unicycle. Glove. A unicycle, yeah, right up the butt. Yeah, I'm just convinced, and I feel like um, they'll figure out a different way to like get rid of waste. It'll be like a hold. It we won't need to eat anymore. We're just going to be consciousness. We're basically going to convert our bodies into bio. Well, that sucks because eating is like the only reason I'm I want to be alive. I, I know. Well, I'm not going to be here for that. I won't do that. Yeah. I won't do the install. I won't do it. Yeah, guys, I'm opt I out know. Of that I one. don't. I know it hasn't been invented yet, but I'm not going to. Just like, just so you know, <laughs> if anyone listening is planning on inventing this. I'm not going to do it. off your mailing list. <laughs> <laughs> Unsubscribe. Unsubscribe. <laughs> just like a self-contained, like what would we do? We would just need to just lay down. Like what would we even be doing? Like Wally. Yeah. Wally. Wally. God, that movie's great. Eva. It's just so cute. I just like sob every time when I watch that When it sings. Film. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> That's the only musical I've ever seen. <laughs> like is. Wait, was there another musical that you were? Oh, my God. I know what it is. Because In the Heights came out. Oh. And Lin-Manuel is in the media a lot again. LLM. Do, I mean, do you want to come out of the closet? I guess it's pride. Yeah. I do not like Lin-Manuel Miranda yep. very much. Okay. And I very much do not like Hamilton. And I also do not like... Lin-Manuel Miranda very much. And I also do not like Hamilton. And yeah, um, that's my story. That is why I'm here. And it's hard to say because he is very popular. Although I do think <clears throat> um, people are starting to, like since it came out on Disney Plus. Yeah. People are starting to rewatch it and be like, interesting. I like. Especially the youngins. <clears throat> like Gen Z is like very much not on the Lin-Manuel train. Right. Well, so like I've always thought Lin-Manuel Miranda was like kind of pretentious. Kind of. Okay, like I'm being nice. He's pretentious and he like awful. it seems narcissistic. He's even. awful. And like I just never really like vibed with his energy and I was just I was like, okay. But like all this buzz about Hamilton and like I tried to get tickets like a bunch of times but they were always just like astronomically expensive. Yeah, because Obama impossible. was there every night. Right. So it was like crazy <laughs> expensive. And so I was like, all right, I guess I'll just like I missed Hamilton. Yeah. And then it came out on Disney Plus and I have to tell you like I never really listened to the music because like I didn't understand the context. Like, I wasn't. Yeah, like, you're not. I'm, into not, I'm it. never trying to like listen to a show's music without seeing the show. Right. Like, I find that so to be. So I wasn't like a fan really yeah. going into it. So we, I watch or watching it, and like Elena and I are basically like, is this like what am what it is? Yeah. Like, like it's when's the thing gonna happen? Like, or, it's basically like I thought that there was something more like clever, like a take, an angle, but it is essentially. He's having BIPOC use art forms invented by BIPOC to uplift the voices of and slaves stories. and stories of slave traders. Yeah. And like, 
And like the argument exists that, you know, I mean, it's based on the Hamilton biography, like one biography. Like, right. And it's not necessarily the most accurate take on Hamilton. Sure. But like the the argument exists that, well, you know, they were very openly anti-slavery. And it's like, OK, like they still partook in it. I mean, at and the end of, at the, end yeah, of the day, I mean, it's a they're a bunch of old white guys and like, that don't are get me started on Thomas Jefferson for terrible institutions that have been made and we revere them like deities. Like it's yeah. bizarre. So I just my whole thing was like, I don't think that this musical is doing what people think it's doing. Yeah, I didn't. I found it to be it's, weird. I want why not have stories of by POC. Yeah. I like I love that it's an inclusive cast. I love that he's exploring using R&B and hip hop in musical theater. I love that. It's a gimmick. But it is a gimmick when you're not telling the story I, of I find the it, people. Yeah. I find it that, to be perverse. Like it, I don't I, get it. It's grotesque to me, honestly. I like, didn't like it. It boggles my mind that like right. it's so dated. Like I, I think maybe is. I can understand like in 2008 whenever it came out i don't know sure like seeing it and thinking cool like you know i've never seen casting like this before this is awesome right like don't i don't know if i should get started on the music because i think it's not for me it's It's not hip-hop and like i don't even know what it is i can't even remember a single song well a lot of people who aren't are also not lin-manuel miranda fans um consider a lot of his stuff like very derivative yeah i and, mean like, he sounds he like kind he's of, doing an eminem imitation like impressions yeah i kind of agree with you i and get like, that it's so rich to me that this like little fellow with a ponytail is mm-hmm. like i'm gonna play hamilton and all these women are gonna be after me and like yeah, exactly it, I, I just know exactly what he is i just see him yeah like i know that he yes. probably thinks that he was never cast as like the main guy because right. he's little and scrawny and yeah. can't really sing Right. So I'm going to write my own musical and pull the wool over everyone's eyes. I know. And like what I, I just like. I also think like he did himself such a disservice because he cast himself as the main part. Right. Yeah. And then he has all these actors around and dancers around him that are literally so talented and like stunning. Yeah. And it's just it really shows quite a juxtaposition right. between Lin-Manuel, his, his like abilities and his presence. Yeah. Versus these other people yeah. that are very talented and Good it's for almost this as job. if like Woody Allen is playing the, the part. You of know Hamilton. what? It's a very, it's a very, it's a very Woody. It's a very Woody Allen. Not in the inappropriateness of Woody Allen's uh, allegations. Yeah. Yes, but it's it's that same kind of thing of like I have to be in my thing and make it's like a ve- it's a it's a Lin Manuel Miranda vehicle. Yeah, and. I um I find him to be like a politician. Yeah, he is. I, I mean, it, his mom like worked in the DNC. He's got like that inauthentic politicianness right. to him, and I can I just he's he so, talks with a fake voice. He's so on. Yeah, and I just don't like it. I don't like. I really. I and like, I'm not. I'm not like a contrary person. I no. give credit where credits due. Right. This is, does not. Deserve I don't it. get it. I don't understand. Like, it. imagine someone had written. A not not a non-Chinese person right. had written a, a musical or a story mm-hmm. about the titans of the Gilded Age, like the railroads and all like the steel going out west, like yep. all like the Anne Rand type shit, you sure. know, Fountainhead and only cast Chinese people to play these parts. Right. And use Chinese, and Chinese style music. music. Yes, that's exactly that that's would a, be that's a one to one to me. Absolutely crazy. Don't you find that to be a one to one? Yes. I don't get it. That would be absolutely crazy. If someone I know. Did that. It's and you know what it is. I think people love it because I think the quality of the actors and like their talents is so good. Yeah. Like 
everyone cries at the end when I mean, what's her name? The one of the sisters yeah. has that moment where she whatever. Uh-huh. Everyone, but that's that what you're you're feeling how good these people are. Yeah. But like, if you look at the show with just its bones of like what it is mm-hmm. at the heart of it, it's like I tell me a different story. Yeah. Uplift different stories, different people voices. don't know these stories. That's right. the thing too. It's like such a like disservice to like right. history. I know. Like people go on tours of like Monticello and don't know that it was like a plantation. Right. Like that's crazy. Yeah, I think it does. It actually does a disservice to the story because it's sort of like covering up. the... And we have been doing that for generations. Like, why are we still doing that? I know. And that's just I. It's it. It's so hard because like a lot of people really love it, and I think that's fine. And what you can like whatever you like, but that's just when for me I didn't get the experience. I was actually like offended. <laughs> yeah, and I do think there's something to be said for like. Like you said, when it came out, going and seeing it in person and you feel the magic of like the live performance. And it, it's, just it's just like a- such peak Obama, like neoliberalism. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's all kind of like for show when like yeah. no actual work is getting done. Right. And then, you know, you watch it now and you're like, oh, it's already outdated. Yeah. And it's. Yeah. And like, I would say that even if it like wasn't Lin-Manuel Miranda, but just like the cherry on top of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Well, because now there's uh, some controversy coming out because there is a lot of uh, apparently colorism in the casting for In the Heights. Yeah. I haven't seen it because you guys, I just don't like his work. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so he's, you know, because yeah, like it takes too. place in Washington Heights, right. which is like predominantly like Afro-Latino. Yeah. And like, you know, you go to New York City and like we saw this TikTok, too, of this girl being like, why is it that? Anytime New York is like depicted in a show or a movie, like eight most people in on the in the screen are white. Right. When if you go to New York City, aside from like maybe one or two neighborhoods, it's like eighty percent not white people. Exactly. It's that's so true. So like in the Heights, if you're shooting, if you're making a story about Washington Heights inwood, it should look like Washington. It should look like it. Yeah. That's I haven't again, I haven't seen it, but that was the complaint. Well, this is what people are saying. Yeah, exactly. And he like had to issue an apology and he was and like, he signed, siempre. It, he signed it siempre. And while I want to think that that's like authentic and lovely, uh-huh. I find it pretentious. Yeah, it's cringe. And then like, OK, siempre. and then Google Lin-Manuel like biting his lip. How about those pictures? That, what like, is that? that? They make me want to die. It's like me. Ugh, I can't. It I like me. <laughs> yeah, he's not. There's something that's just not sitting well with me. No, it doesn't sit right with me. Don't sit right with me. Anyway, thanks for coming to my TED talk. Yeah, I know it's it's hard when it's like when it was coming out. I'm like, especially when it came out on Disney Plus, everyone was like, "Have you watched it yet?" And Elena and I were I like, know, "We like couldn't tell people." I hated it. Yeah, and it was just like it's awkward. But honestly, when you give the argument, like you, it's it, we're right about it. I, I mean, I can't. You can still like I've it. Thought about it yeah. a bunch of times. I've read articles about it. I I. I, We've this sat is how with I it. feel about yeah. it. This is how I feel about it. On a completely separate note. So we made like a really grim discovery this week. Oh, what? Um, which is that I may have never broken up with my sixth grade boyfriend that I had for oh my a couple God. months. That's right. So, so I'm the other woman. Have I been cheating this whole time? Yes. There was. Or is our marriage even legal? I don't know. There was a relationship in sixth grade where. Brian Borelli asked me if I would go out with his friend, Jared Evangelist. Mm-hmm. And first I said no, because I was so taken off guard. And my friends were like, what are you talking about? He's so cute. So when I found Brian. I said, actually tell him yes. 
<laughs> so then I, we said yes. And then um, I didn't see him because he was in a different pod, I think they were called, or team. Like a class? Different teams. We had a big school, so there was like teams and pods. Okay. And so I never saw him except like sometimes I would just say hi to him in the hallway. Did you think he was cute? Sure. Did he wear cool clothes? I Sure. Probably like some some Abercrombie or something. Um, and then I just don't remember. I don't remember ever having a breakup. I don't remember telling one of my friends to tell him that we were broken up. No one told anyone anything. So I don't really know. So what happened in your head? You just like stopped talking. Just like never happened. The original ghost? It's the original ghost. <laughs> what a great movie title. I mean, like how funny, like that is so funny. I bet there's so many people out there that have those like middle school phantom boyfriend phantom boy it was a phantom boyfriend <laughs> that's what the phantom of the opera is about is like a middle school boyfriend it's like so i just want you know that the phantom thinks you're really pretty yeah and he wants you to sing for him like will you be his girlfriend yes or no like you didn't even go to a dance together no Mm-mm. in fact i actually feel like it was a relationship that started at the end of the year and went through the summer and then when like school came back in oh it was my just God. like we forgot and you're like, you didn't even see each we other We didn't even talk the on the summer. phone. Nothing happened. It was literally. No mutuals. I mean, we were 11. So it was. It was a fluke. It was a fluke. Damn. But I mean, I just, I remember the, it beginning. I remember waving. And I remember nothing from there. Oh, you're like a sister wife. I'm a sister wife. Yeah, guess so. So I hope he's well. <laughs> Should I make up the guest room? <laughs> Do you want me to start this um, Meryl Streep's deep dive? I'm very excited because I actually don't know that much about Meryl's like personal life and stuff because yeah. she's kind of a little bit more private. But God, I love her so much. Yeah, she's a silly. She's I, a silly I love her. I just before up the top. I she's my favorite actress. Well, it's not to love. She's the best. Yeah, that's <clears> it. OK, Mary Louise Streep was born on June 22nd, 1949. <gasps> Hell yeah, cancers. Cancer, and her name is Mary Louise. Mary Louise. And she was born in Summit, New Jersey. So she's 71 now. She is the daughter of artist Mary Wilkinson Streep and pharmaceutical exec Harry William Streep Jr. Okay. She was born Mary Louise because her mother's best friend's name was Louise. Oh, cute. And um, she comes from a long line of Marys. So her yeah. mom's name is Mary. Her grandmother's name is Mary. But they all then, go by like nicknames or different yeah, names. Yeah, and then like her daughter's name is Mary, but she goes by Mamie. That's like a very Irishy thing. Yeah, she's like super Irish. Okay. And um, her father came up with Meryl. I like it. And she like hated it when she was younger. I think it's so cool. Well, because she she says that she wanted to be named something like Patty or Kathy. Oh, yep. Those or are Debbie. The, and, the she's, big and then she's the like, I'm Meryl with the glasses. So she's like, oh, my always God. been kind of like self-deprecating. Oh, but well, that makes you a little funny, right? Exactly. <laughs> Wait, you know what? If um you, my first and middle name were a combination like Meryl is, mine would be um Jelizabeth. <laughs> Or Jizzy. <laughs> Listen, Jizzy, I'm going to start calling you that. Please do. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Jazzy could be good, too. Jazzy's more me. That, that's like your grandmother name. Yeah, it is. Just call me Jazzy. Like, if I had grandchildren, I'd make them call me Jazzy. Yeah. They'd be like, come in, let Jazzy. Would you would you go by, like, honey? Me? You, yeah, what would you want to go gung, by? Gung Gung. Gung Gung. Oh, so grandfather in Cantonese? Yeah. So we've got <laughs> Gung Gung and Jazzy. Yeah. Uh, if anyone wants to be adopted by us, we're looking for grandchildren. <laughs> Are we? Yes. We okay, have no fine. parental rights or grandparental That's rights. Fine. But we're just We can just like get enjoyable gifts for little kids. Right. Fair play. 
But absolutely, not, that's not creepy. <laughs> it could be anonymous. <laughs> uh, is that more creepy? <laughs> this is getting creepier. It's just like you can't win with kids. You can't. No. Thanks well, for coming to the podcast. <laughs> you can't win. With no, like kids. if anyone looks like they could be 17 yeah. or younger, I am staying away from them. It, it just because I, they're not my business. And yeah. I just I will make you know what? I, when I do see kids by themselves, though, I always like kind of stick it. around and yeah. I'm just like making sure nothing weird happens. Yeah, We watch a lot of SVU, so. I just like if I'm there and I see a kid by itself, like, you know, getting off the bus. That happens a lot around here. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know what? I'm just going to make sure they get in the house. I just don't know. I've seen too many SVUs. SVUs. Yeah. And that's fine. I'll oh, that was the thing about Murder by Numbers, too, is that like it's, you know, it's from the 90s. And like since then, we've made such crazy headway and crime dramas, yeah. like crime dramas. Yeah. So it like literally is an episode of SVU. I know. It seems like an extra long SVU episode. Yeah. And that's why I love it. But it's so true. Yeah. Anyways, back to Meryl Streep. Anyway, Meryl Streep has two younger brothers who are both actors. And no, they're not. Because <laughs> she's the only actor. I mean, can you imagine being the younger sibling of Meryl Streep? I and know. you're going to be an actor? I know. Like, they should they should have taken down the pharmaceutical Go do the pharmaceutical Go do something. Yeah. I mean, unless they just love it. I don't want to be a hater, but like, come on. That's so funny. Can't she just have it? But you it? know what? Like, Solange is great. Yeah, but I, that's, that's what I, not what I'm saying. You know what? That's not what I'm saying. What do you say? If you're a Solange, go for it. Yeah. I don't know who Meryl Streep's brothers are. Well, it's Josh Brolin and it's Jason Gould. It is? Those are her two sons. No, her <laughs> brothers. Does Barbara Streisand? <laughs> Stop. Um, like, I'm just saying, like, I'm not saying we have so many famous families. That's fine. Yeah. But if you're not doing a Meryl, why are you here? Yeah, they're not offering us a Meryl. Oh, but yeah. like Meryl's. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just she's so special. She is. Um, her mother strongly instilled confidence in her uh, starting from a, a very young age. You know, she was an artist. Mm. And she always told her that she was like great and capable of anything that she put her mind to. Meryl has likened her mother to Dame Judi Dench. Oh, <laughs> that's so funny. She went to high school in Bernardsville, New Jersey, and she was a cheerleader and she was voted homecoming queen. Her senior Okay, year. Meryl. Yeah. And um, she was in a lot of plays in junior high and high school, but she didn't start taking serious interest in acting until she was in the play Miss Julie mm-hmm. at our local Vassar College in 1969. <gasps> oh, my gosh. She's a Vassar girl. Nice. She started to gain attention across campus and her drama professor, Clinton J. Atkinson, said, I don't think anyone ever taught Meryl acting. She really taught herself. I mean, that's so true. Yeah. She just does it. Yeah. She just has it. She's so charming. I know. And she's like, I feel like she was like homecoming queen because she was just like likable. Like genuinely likable. Like there are some people that think they're charming. Like Lin-Manuel. Right. And they're being charming. Yeah. And then there's some people who just are charming. Right. And that's Meryl Streep. She graduated from Vassar in 1971, then went on to the Yale School of Drama for her MFA. At Yale, she helped pay for her courses by working as a waitress and a typist, and she appeared in over a dozen stage productions per year. Damn. At one point, she was so overworked that she started developing ulcers, so she contemplated quitting acting to study law. (laughs) Imagine being like, let me do something easy, like studying law. (laughs) Right? Like it's hard? (laughs) Uh, But thank God she didn't because she got her MFA from Yale in 1975 and moved straight to New York City where she just dove right into a stage career. She's smart. She's a genius. I think she's a genius. Yeah. She immediately started doing plays 
One of her first shows was a production of Trelawney of the Wells, mm-hmm. starring opposite Mandy Patinkin. Oh, my God. Speak of the devil. And John Lithgow. She did the New York Shakespeare Com- Festival, um, starred in the Broadway musical Happy End, and won an, won an Obie for her performance in the off-Broadway play Alice at the Palace. Mm-hmm. Look at that. She's already getting the accolades. Yeah. Like, this woman is constantly in plays. I love that. I mean, that's how you really learn the craft. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah what's the thing? Like 10,000 hours makes an expert. She's she's an expert. Yeah. Yeah. She ended up doing seven plays in her first year in New York, garnering rave reviews, calling her basically the next big thing. Meryl hadn't really aspired to be a screen actor, but that changed when she saw what's his name in Taxi Driver in 1976. <laughs> you mean Robert yeah. De Niro? <laughs> I did it. <laughs> Uh, she said herself that that's the kind of actor I want to be when Isn't I grow up. Isn't that so funny? That yeah. is so funny. I'm telling you, it, he like kind of was like one of those people. Yeah, I think that, a lot of people like they're like now that. that's yeah. acting. Yep. So she started auditioning for film roles, and um, what here's a crazy story about one of her first auditions. She was discovered by Dino De Laurentiis's son. You mean Giada De Laurentiis's? Yeah, like grandfather. I think it's like Dino Junior. Okay. Yeah, it's Giada's grandfather. I think. I think so. Um, and they brought her into audition for King Kong. Oh, my God. And uh, in Italian, Dino Sr. goes to his son. Che bruta. Oh. And Meryl, being the genius that she is, understands Italian. Yeah, of course she does. And understood what he said, which is basically like, why did you bring this ugly woman to audition for King Excuse Kong? Excuse you. And she goes, me dispiace. And she's like, I'm very sorry that I'm not as beautiful as I should be. But, you know, that's it. This like, is what you get. Wow. And then she just like walked out. She showed him. Yeah. That's like one of those mic drop moments where you're like, don't you wish you just spoke a different language and you could just be like, mm, yeah, told you I understood everything. Totally. So from there, she just like continued to do shows that like more plays and plays and plays. And then her first feature film role was in 1977 opposite Jane Fonda, who was in King Kong. Oh, wow. Um, in the film Julia. She had a small role during a flashback sequence and most of her other scenes were edited out. And her brief time on screen horrified her. She said, I had a bad wig and they just took the words from the scene I shot with Jane and put them in my mouth in a different scene. I thought I've made a terrible mistake. No more movies. I hate this business. That is so funny. Regardless, Meryl credits Fonda for having a huge influence on her as an actress. And she says she opened many doors for her. I love Jane Fonda. I know. I God, love Jane she's Fonda. Good. So Robert De Niro saw Meryl in a stage production of The Cherry Orchard and suggested he play the role of his girlfriend in the 1978 film Deer Hunter. Yes. And at the time, Meryl was in a relationship with actor John Cazal, mm-hmm. whom you might recognize from the Godfather movies. Mm-hmm. John was also cast in The Deer Hunter, but at the time he was really sick with lung cancer. So Meryl took the role in Deer Hunter basically to like be with John, even though the role wow. is kind of just like of a stock girlfriend. And, and he was like her long term partner. This, yeah, they lived together. Right. The success of the film exposed Meryl to a wider audience and got her an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress. After that. Imagine just being like, let me just do this and I'll be there with my partner. And yeah. And just like get an Oscar nomination. Right. Unbelievable. After that, Meryl star- starred in the 1978 miniseries Holocaust, where she played a German woman worried married to a Jewish artist played by James Woods. Oh, gosh. Sheesh. She- a big sheesh to all yeah. of that. She admitted that she found the material to be unrelentingly noble and that she took the role just for financial gain. She shot the series in Germany and Austria while John was still in New York. 
And when she returned, Meryl discovered John's illness had really progressed. Mm. And she basically nursed him until he died oh in, my 19, God. in March of 78. Wow. And like while, while all that was happening. Do you know how old he was? Like around? Was he like an older person? No, or? he wasn't. He, he was just like had, like young, 50s, lung, 40s, he had like lung cancer. He had like lung cancer. Wow. While all this was happening, Holocaust was very well received and popular and it had an estimated audience of 109 million people. And it brought Meryl a ton of recognition. It sounds very dark. I mean. It doesn't sound like an easy watch. No, it's not. Yeah. She won a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Miniseries or a Movie. Of course she did. <laughs> yeah, but despite being on the verge of like global fame and award success, Meryl was still not very enthusiastic about her film career and preferred acting on stage. But following John's death, Meryl took a role in the 1979 film The Suggested The Seduction of Joe Tynan with Alan Alda, which basically she was on autopilot for because she was like kind of using it to grieve, like yeah. to distract herself. I mean, that's really traumatic. Yeah. Um, then she would go on to play Catherine in Taming of the Shrew and Shakespeare in the Park. We yeah. all know what movie is Taming of the Shrew as well, right? Ten Things I Hate About You. Yes. And then she played supporting a supporting role in um, the Woody Allen movie Manhattan. Yep. Meryl later said that Woody never provided her with a complete script and only gave her the six pages of her own scenes and also didn't allow her to improvise a word of dialogue. Wow. Dead letter perfect. Yeah. And um, one funny review for her performance in Manhattan was... It was the best performance by a head of hair. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. She has great hair. She does. Yeah. It's very flouncy. Yeah. It's floppy in a good way. Yeah. So that's kind of like her, you know, the, the start of her career. Okay. And now I'm going to start talking about like what makes her so good. Great. And um, I watched this video on YouTube that was like really great by the channel Be Kind Rewind about Meryl Streep. So like a... Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of this is from that. It's really interesting. Okay. So what makes Meryl so good? First, her range and her versatility. In her first two years alone, she had done Shakespeare comedies, a Brecht musical, and plays by Chekhov and Tennessee Williams. Critics would praise her physical comedy and liken her to Buster Keaton. Wow. While on the other hand, call her the female equivalent of Laurence Olivier. Damn. Yeah. That's some high accolades. Um, Laurence Olivier was at our restaurant once. My mom and I were there mm -hmm. in the city and we sent him over a bottle of champagne. I mean, like, what do you even do? He was very old. <laughs> yeah. That's like unbelievable. And he was very nice. Like, um, that's like an, an unbelievably iconic moment. I know. <laughs> she has the ability to be comical and also like so mature and like put together. She does. She's like loose, but professional. Yeah. It's it's perfect. So like the Meryl can play anything was kind of earned right away and it kind of became her brand. You know, what a great brand. Yeah. She entered the world of film with some high profile supporting roles. And by 1979, she had an Oscar for Kramer versus Kramer. But it was in 1981 that Meryl finally landed a leading role that would carry her acclaim for versatility from the stage to film. In The French Lieutenant's Woman, Meryl basically plays two roles based in two different romantic affairs. One is in the Victorian period involving a gentleman paleontologist and Meryl's character, Sarah, known as the French lieutenant's woman. And the other affair is between actors Mike and Anna who are playing lead roles in a modern film of the story. Wow. So it's like very meta. That's Does very, that make sense? Yes. Okay. And it's, but it's so complex. Right. So she's going in between like this Victorian woman to like a modern day actress. Yeah. So she was able to weave seamlessly between these two stories and time periods. Which is crazy. I, I I don't doubt it. Yeah. She followed the French lieutenant's woman with what might be one of the best performances 
of all time, Sophie's Choice. Unbelievable. And Sophie's Absolutely Choice. Absolutely gut-wrenching. Yeah. It, I feel sick yeah. thinking about it. In Sophie's Choice, she plays a post-World War II Polish immigrant navigating her new life in Brooklyn while carrying a haunting secret from her past. Mm. It's a role that hits the highs of having a new love and a new life and a new world and the lowest, the lowest of lows of humanity. I'm like going to cry thinking about it. <laughs> it is so awful. Yeah. She's just so that's and just a like, testament to her. And it's like, how does she do it? Like she is Sophie in that movie. Like yeah. there's no interruption between the performance and like the person that's on the screen. Right. You know, She's like, not there's translating no, it in yeah, her there's head. No Meryl. It's she like, just speaks the language yeah. of that person like a native in speaker. In real time. Yeah. And it's not it's not like an actress reciting a script. It's, it's almost like she's like put different input into her brain yeah. and is like having a different consciousness. Yeah. It's bizarre. It's like I it, you rarely see people that are this good. Yeah. Sophie's Choice won Meryl's second Oscar in three years, which cemented her as like a genius in right. Hollywood. Critics singled her out as the best actress of the generation, but hardcore theatrical dramas with incredible accent work can only get you so far before people just start getting bored. Right. If she wanted to endure the fickleness of Hollywood, she needed to expand her versatility beyond heavy dramas and start developing the star that is Meryl. It's so smart. It's like you need to show you that diversity. Like she's smart. By the late 80s, Meryl was looking to change things up. And just like on another note, that has to be much more fun for her. Like yeah. she can't constantly be working with material this heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's, you know, she's a person. Yeah. So to show like that she is so well-rounded is like, for, it's double fold. Like it's interesting like, for give work. Me an emotional it's good break. for marketing. Yeah. And yeah. She was actively looking to star in a comedy. And in 1989, she took the role of glamorous writer Mary in the black comedy She Double. Oh my God, it's incredible. A satire, oh my God, she's so good in it. A satire that parodied societal obsession with beauty and plastic surgery. Although the film was not a commercial success, critics noted that Streep was the one reason to see the film. Yeah, I mean. As it marked a departure from the dramatic roles she had been known for. Her look in this movie is Gorgeous. so awesome. It's so good. Of course, then after that, she gave us one of my favorites of all time, Death Becomes Her in 1992. Yeah, I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. Madeline Ashton? I just love that movie so much. She's Madeline Ashton, right? Yeah. Okay, just checking. As you can kind of see, though, that these comedic roles are more dark comedies, and it's kind of like in the vein of like a Betty Davis campiness. Yeah. Yeah, she like knows it's still it. Acting. She's yeah. so good at doing camp. Yeah, she is. The, she the minute she does something campy, it's going to become a cult. Totally. Favorite. Yes. These movies were not really well received. Big mistake, especially for Meryl with her track record. What's wrong with everybody? So she changed her management and in the 90s and 2000s went on to take more classically Meryl roles to sustain her career. Yeah, she was like, all right, let me let me buckle down. Yeah, she's like, that was fun. Like, the thing is, though, like, she's still great in them. You know what I mean? Oh, she's so good. They're, They're great. Yeah, they're great. I don't know why they didn't land like they're so good. So in 1995, she did her most successful film of the decade, The Bridges of Madison County, directed by famous chair talker Clint Eastwood. (laughs) And just for just for your reference, just, you know, like what was happening in 1995. That's when Batman Forever came out. Okay. yep. Um, And as she plays a middle aged Italian farm wife, Francesca. uh, So we get to enjoy her Italian accent in this film. Well, as we already know, by that absolute slaughter of Dino Laurenti, Laurenti, she speaks Italian. Uh, Meryl wasn't interested in doing the film because she wasn't that into the book, but her friend gave Clint Eastwood her home phone number and he called her and made her an offer she couldn't refuse. (laughs) She was 45 at the time and there was a big dispute with the studio because they thought she was too old for the character, even though the character is a 45 year old woman. 
I mean, and, uh, meanwhile, her co-star Clint Eastwood was 65. I can't. So he had to make a case for her. I cannot. Yeah. So Meryl actually recalled having kind of a blueprint for the role of Francesca because in her childhood, um, in her neighborhood in New Jersey, lived a war wife. Mm. So a, a white American GI had come back and he had married an Italian woman. Oh, okay. And like she lived in, in Meryl Streep's neighborhood. Is a war wife like it? Like he met her in war. Oh, okay. I see. And like brought, brought her, her to America. Yeah. I understand. Okay. So this woman like lived in Meryl Streep's neighborhood and Meryl Streep remembers like loving how she moved she was around like and talked. Yeah. To her. And that she was just like so cool. Yeah. So she basically like copied her. You know what's really interesting? Hmm. You know, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Mm-hmm. I think that the character of Hedwig, from what I remember, John Cameron Mitchell was inspired by like a war wife. Oh, interesting. That, that's what I think who Hedwig is based on. I interesting. Remember. Yeah. So that's very interesting. You take the <laughs> Italian out of Italy. I mean, but. it's like a way to, to see more of the world in a way when you get more, you know, exposure. Inspo- yeah. Interesting. After the bridges of Madison County, she went on to do more of her classic Meryl style roles, like the hours with Nicole Kidman and Julianne Moore. Excellent. In 2002. Wow. And what a cast. The, yeah. And Nicole Kidman's nose. I love Nicole. Oh my God. That's right. That fake nose. <laughs> and Angels in America for HBO in 2003. Then in 2006, she gave us the performance that would really change the game, especially for Cerulean. Oh, yeah. The Devil Wears Prada. The Devil Wears Prada. This changed her entire career. That's unbelievable. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's extremely important in the Meryl story because it's kind of when everyone like started to buy it fully. It solidified Meryl as the star. It's so crazy because like we've been thinking she's the star the kind of the whole time uh-huh. but it's just like how mainstream can that thought be is uh-huh. like what she's been doing right like among like you know theater snobs she was the best uh-huh. among movie critics she was the best and then among movie you know people that were like really into movie movie heads yeah aka film, film buffs, buffs you know she's the best now she's like gonna be the best on like a more mass scale right. so she's like a favorite of cult classics critics artists and like, also she gets everybody also it's her opportunity to to really win over the millennial generation. True. Because that's like, you know, yeah. unless your parents are film buffs and like watching like heavy that's dramas true. around you. Like I wasn't growing up watching Sophie's Choice. No, I mean, that it's traumatizing. Even like Kramer versus Kramer is very traumatizing also for a young child. Yeah, it's but, true. Um, yeah, like this kind of is our introduction to her as well. Right. Very true. Meryl really makes the movie and her performance is what low-key makes Miranda the true heroine of the film. I agree. She brings a sense of humanity to a character trope known to our generation specifically, like the dictatorial boss who will like sacrifice anyone to achieve a higher goal. Mm -hmm. And she does an unbelievable job to create an organic and nuanced character that is based on an existing person. Right. Like, but not just doing an imitation of that person. No, she like gives it its own life. It's like inspired by, but its own entire. Like Anna Wintour should honestly like write her a thank you letter. I know. I think she makes, she shows her to be like likable in the end. Yeah. she. And as we all know, the real villain of that movie is Andy's stupid boyfriend. She manages to imbue the role with humanity using her famous vocal affectations, expertly placed side eyes, and a wig that cannot be matched. The wig is so good. It's so wow, good. it's such a good wig. It's so good. The the root height lace wear. Oh, unbelievable! It's like a Marilyn level wig. Oh yeah, it's Madeline. It's growing. Yeah, her that wig looks good too. It's growing out of her head. Uh huh. Yeah. She expertly crafts a sympathetic character that could have easily been purely hated. Yeah. The Devil Wears Prada became her highest grossing film to that date. There was a different kind of excitement about Meryl that was not there before. Right. After that movie. 
And I remember like it coming out. It was like a phenomenon. I remember it coming out and I was like, oh, Meryl Streep is doing it. Yeah, like, it was that like makes a big this movie deal. good then. Yeah. Like it gave it like a lot of validity. Yeah. I think that's why I have so many. I mean, I've seen it like a, a thousand oh times. Oh my God, it's on TV all the time. It's so good. It's so quotable. Mm-hmm. It's part of like the lexicon of like modern pop culture. Totally. Like I've always had this fantasy about like, you know, the Cerulean speech. Right. Like I want like a gay to do the Cerulean speech about just like anything that. Yeah. Because like gay and black people invented everything. Right. So like, oh, your iPhone. Like, yeah. And then go into a speech of like. That was invented yeah. by a gay person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. End of. <laughs> uh, someone workshopped that with me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with The Devil Wears Prada, Meryl became a box office draw in her late 50s in, a, in an industry that famously disposes of middle-aged women with no regard. Yeah, I'm going to really have to say thank you so much, Meryl Streep, for continuing to play mm-hmm. fun roles of all different kinds. Yeah. Like into her 50s and beyond because you didn't really see that as much. Like we've been doing a lot of the starlets recently for our deep dives and we could see how they get completely thrown away. I mean, Betty Davis had to put a newspaper ad out. Right. More affable than rumor would have it. That's so funny. And that brings us to Meryl's greatest box office achievement of her career. Mama fucking Mia. Mama Mia. Here we go again. A film that even further solidifies Meryl as a star. It really... By casting Meryl Streep as Donna, two things are happening. Yeah. We're realizing, wow, Meryl Streep is so fun mm-hmm. and she's America's sweetheart. And also, Mama Mia is going to be great because she brings a validity mm-hmm. and an honest truth to it. Yeah. That gives it, it makes it you human. You know it's going to be good. Yep. You just know. It's like when you watch a movie that has like all the production value and blah, blah, blah. But like the acting is just not there. Yeah. It just like doesn't work. Nope. And like she, the opposite is true for her. Like she could make literally anything right. good. I mean, and Mamma Mia has great production and everything. And it's just like. Yeah. Just to see her. It's honestly do like it. high, high and low. Like I, that's what I love about Mamma Mia. It's like high and low. Yes. Also, like, did we know Meryl Streep could sing? Right? Like, she actually She's actually, like, sing. a trained singer. I mean, that's unbelievable. And she sang a lot of it live, like you told us last time. Yes. Just a star. An absolute and star. And how great does she look? Like, a little sun kiss with, like, her long blonde hair I mean, and, like, she overalls. brings it to life in a way that, like, that's the icon. That is Donna to me. Yeah. This ushers in a phase of Meryl's career that shows a wide variety of genres. After Mama Mia, she does doubt. Mama Mia! After Mama Mia... <laughs> She does Doubt. Oh, I have doubts. And then she did Julie and Julia. Oh, yeah. Precious. And then after doing some voice work for Wes Anderson's Fantastic Mr. Fox, she gives us sensual croissant making and it's and it's complicated. <gasps> it, oh, Further I proving that women of a certain age have infinite value. I love a Nancy Myers lens. Right. On a Meryl I, or on a, a Diane. Diane Keaton. I just her production that design. That movie's like interchangeable. It's there oh one's sepia and one's blue. I just love her so much. I know. The she's so good in like a rom com. She really so, she's great in a rom com. She makes a rom com just like a different level. Yeah. How about the scene where she smokes that joint? Oh my Isn't god. She's so cute. Yes. God, she's funny. She's cute. Then she wins her third Oscar for the Iron Lady. Oh. 20 years after her last win for Sophie's Choice. The Iron Lady. Just think about her career and all the characters she's played and the versatility. It's remarkable. She's also been, between these Oscars, been nominated like basically oh, yeah, every year. Yeah. It also speaks to how Hollywood positions women and allows them to function 
because her filmography is the exception that proves a rule. The 1980s and 90s were not a very nice time for women in Hollywood. There was even an article written in 1996 that talked about how difficult it was to actually find five women to nominate for Oscars. Wow. Like, finally, there were enough women in roles to nominate, and people even called it a fluke. So the bulk of Meryl's early career is during this time, meaning that it was incredibly competitive for women because there literally were just not parts written for them. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to preface this, too. Oh, go ahead. I was going to preface this, too, by saying this is like I'm talking about white women. Oh, yeah. It's a different story for a not white woman. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so funny because we've been kind of going through this thing where we wanted to watch movies from the 90s, like I mentioned, Mm -hmm. that we kind of missed. And, you know, I I do like to have a strong female character or at least a female character because mm-hmm. it just I want to see it in a movie. There's not a lot of them. No. And if they are, it's like she's a bunny burner. Yeah. She's a crazy bitch. It's like gaslight left and yes. right. Yes. So like a lot of the movies from the 90s are just like they're hard to watch sausage fest. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like Reservoir Dogs, The Godfather. I know. Like- it's like so many like. Mission this, this, that. Don't come this for my guy. missions. Yeah, it was just the word I used. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. fast and going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up and out. <laughs> so because Meryl was so skilled and versatile, she kind of got typecast as like a prestige actress that could that could not be typecast, if that makes sense. Right. She can play anything. She was even referred to as being unpredictable, which was a privilege not afforded to other actresses. Mm. Think about the idea of typecasting. Hollywood will cast an actor in the same kinds of roles over and over again that showcase their strengths. Right. right? Very few actors can avoid this. And Meryl is definitely one of them. Right. So her success has a lot to do with not being forced into a box. Yeah. If you compare her career to some of her peers like Diane Keaton, for example, mm-hmm. you kind of know what you're going to get with like a Diane Keaton. You're going to get. Ah! Yeah, ah! exactly. Ah! Yeah, you're going to get, like, someone quirky yeah. that, like, you know. Oh, I don't know. Do you think I should leave a note? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Like, even, like Bette Midler, you're going to get, like, you know, you know a zazzy a singer. Brazen, yeah, yeah, singer. Yeah, it's true. Like, anyone else, even Jane Fonda, you're going to, it's just, like, kind of, like, oh, she's hot. Like, yeah, you know she's going to be. Like, she's beautiful. Uh, absurdly elegant. Yeah. yeah. But, like, Even yeah. Sally Field, like. Yeah, she plays sort of, like, a strong mom. Yeah. But with Meryl, you get. Like, think uh, about her career. The, she runs the gamut. Like, she's a Polish woman. She's a woman from Brooklyn. Like, she's so many different things, even in the same movie. <laughs> a Polish woman? <laughs> um, for the podcast, I am Polish. I'm not making a Polish joke. You, she is a Polish so woman. Funny to say she's a Polish woman to me. Anyways. <laughs> so, avoiding typecasting gave Meryl maneuverability. <laughs> You know what it is? Huh. It's the now I am an Italian oh, man. Oh, now I am and a that, Polish woman. I, that's what it is. For me. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh my god! It got me right yeah. in the giggle. In the giggle guts. Okay, I'm okay. Okay, so avoiding typecasting gave Meryl maneuverability, so she was able to seamlessly move between genres, giving her more opportunities. And I guess it remains to be argued whether or not like actresses could do this. But the point is that they were never like called to like Meryl was. They were never given the opportunity. So it's like a chicken and the egg thing. You know, don't look at me. What? Because you're a Polish woman. (laughs) Yes, I agree. (laughs) Sorry. I feel like I'm in high school and like I'm trying not to. And like someone farted. Trying not to laugh. Yes. Um, they were never given the opportunity because at the end of the day, babes, 
There just aren't as many versatile roles for women as there are for men. No, that's it. Unfortunately, women's careers are intrinsically linked to their age and beauty. And for Meryl, she was never considered a sex symbol, which contributes to the longevity of her career. You know what? And that's why I'm not shaving my arms. Good. Like Meryl is kind of an anomaly because her stardom is almost entirely based on her ability to act rather than her sex appeal or glamour. Yep. She avoided roles that over-sexualized her and required any nudity. And this doesn't mean people weren't pointing out her beauty, like whether it be her hair or her cheekbones, like the distinction is between elegance and beauty and glamour and sexuality, which like people love to differentiate between. Yeah. I'm sure I did it already during this podcast. I know. I think I called her elegant a couple times. (laughs) I mean, like, yeah. Think about like over-sexualized women whose careers last like 10 seconds, like Megan Fox. Oh, I know. Well, that's like the thing is they like to, uh, women that are like yeah and the, like hot fire it's like yeah. fast like yeah she's a vixen she's fast yeah. she's this and then they shove her in our face and make us sick of her and then they make everybody hate them yeah they do it all the time they do it with like the britneys and right they, they even done it with like lizzo yeah where like it's like here she's the new thing she's this look she's showing off her body and she's her body positive everywhere right and then it's just like they shove it in your face yeah yeah So this goes into why and how she is so universally charming, too. She has like a self-deprecating nature that is very disarming. Yeah. Playing into this also is her general disdain for celebrity culture. Right. She lives. She like lived in Connecticut with her family. Like all of her kids were like grew up in Connecticut and she married like a normal guy. And like is still married to him. Yes. He's a potter or a ceramicist. Wow. A sculptor. A doctor of plates. A doctor of clay. Um, It's so true. And I think a really good example of this is Meryl is here to do the job. Right. She's an actor. And when she comes to events, she's not a celebrity. She's yeah. not showing up in a celebrity outfit. Yeah. She's like an acting teacher that you might see at a gala. Yeah. Like she shows up with her hair half up, her spectacles so she can read the program. And she's and just, a, yeah. just some sort of a gown. Or she often forgets her spectacles when she receives an award. Right. She's just she's literally like that acting teacher that. Yeah, but she just like is gorgeous and charming. She really is gorgeous. She feels authentic because she says the thing that we all kind of like want to hear. Right. Like, oh, like this whole thing or like, what am I doing here? You know, like those types of things. It's definitely that she's disarming. Yeah, for sure. Because she's like, I'm just a regular person. Yeah, it's like the if the most popular girl in school came up to you and like and charmingly was like, can you believe this bullshit? Right. Yeah. God, that's good. This combination of unparalleled skill and relatability and authenticity makes Meryl the star that she is today. Although not overtly feminist, her roles in the 70s and 80s speak to the struggles of modern womanhood. Mm -hmm. Like even take Kramer versus Kramer. The film touches on the very real struggles women had with traditional familial structures in the late 70s after second wave feminism. Mm -hmm. And Meryl's character could have very easily been demonized in the film because she like abandons her kid, basically. Right. But Meryl made a concerted effort to make sure her character was like very nuanced. She worked with the director and even changed some of her lines to make her character relatable and deserving of empathy in a scenario where you would like rather hate her. How about the same thing in Sophie's Choice? Right. I mean, the fact that it's like something that if you just heard it on paper, just like you're like, oh, that's horrific. But you're like, nope, this is you you see that it it happened. It intentionally like works to not alienate audiences to these ideas. Like it kind of like welcomes them in slowly. Yeah. And comfortingly to like, oh, like this. These are the struggles that women face. Right. It's not like this is a feminist movie. Right. 
and she like makes and she works to have you understand the struggles. I would argue that she does that in every movie she's yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. I That's feel a, that yeah. way about Madeline Ashton. I feel That's that way about yeah. her in The Devil Wears Prada. Yes. Like she Like these people I that you want to villainize are real people that have like layers and a yes. story and God, I love that so much. Yeah. She's actually like kind of been singularly responsible in a way for the roles demanding more backstories for these women mm-hmm. because if she's like like let's change lines let's show who she is like yeah. because women were written through such a male lens i mean even like murder by numbers we were talking about we were watching that movie and i was like this whoever wrote this movie has like never met a woman yes. in his whole life i know it was a little unbelievable yeah that's so true. But like, you know, when you see Marilyn Rose, she's like, well, I have to be able to be on her side. Yeah, because like her craft requires it. Right. So she knows it. Yeah. And she she shows it to us. Her film has been a vehicle for her to explore the strengths and vulnerabilities of all kinds of women, white women, mm-hmm. and to show the complexities of women and also indirectly turning the mirror back on men. Mm-hmm. Through exploring the nuances of the female experience, Meryl is able to show that women are indeed different from men and also in many cases very similar and that the equal treatment of women should be unquestion- an unquestionable reality for which we all should all strive. OK, Meryl. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. She kind of reminds me of like um, Dolly Parton in a way mm-hmm. because she's doing something like just so brilliant how she disarms people and then like welcomes them into what could be like a radical way of thinking. Right. And you don't even know what's happening. Right. It's like, I'm going to make this go down real smooth. For yeah. You. yeah. And like you, for some reason you trust them. Yes. I don't know. It's, it's and just she, like, it's they've a never, skill. Both, neither of them have ever let us down. A cancer they, and a cap. They have ah! like a give it, I got it-ness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. Like, Dolly Parton's like, I'm going to go into this space that's traditionally for men mm-hmm. that I'm probably not allowed into, but you're going to invite me into it. Yeah. And like Meryl does that, too. Yeah. And it's really like and they share, seamlessly. They, they seamlessly share does it. Um, their wit and charm and also their just like unquestionable talent. Yeah. They back it up. I wanted to touch on something else about Meryl as well that makes her just like unparalleled. Her accent work. Yes. One of the main reasons why she is such an unbelievable actor is because she is so skilled with vocal affectations and accents. True. She goes from British in the French Lieutenant's Woman to Polish in Sophie's Choice. Her ability to shift identity and nationality is just unmatched. She has spent most of her career, especially in the 80s, in roles that required many different kinds of accents and vocal affectations. She did Danish and Out of Africa, mm. British, like I said, in the French Lieutenant's Woman. Danish is not easy. Also in Plenty, also in The Iron Lady, Italian in Bridges of Madison County, a Southern American accent in The Seduction of Joe Tynan, a Minnesota accent in The Prairie Home Companion starring Lindsay Lohan, <laughs> upstate New York in Ironweed, and a heavy Bronx accent in Doubt. You know what's so crazy? She does it so well that I don't notice it. I know. Her accent work is what really does set her apart from like, her peers. And it's like important because it's quantitative. Yes, it's technically correct. It's like it's something that you can actually hinge talent on. Right. It's technically done correctly. And like a lot of times when people do an accent, like I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. But like, for example, whenever I hear like Leonardo DiCaprio doing an accent. Oh, like the padded? Yes, the padded or like the South African accent he did in Blood Diamond. Uh Uh-huh. While he's doing like an okay job, like I can still hear like, technically him. It sounds I right. hear him doing it. Yeah. Whereas with Meryl, it feels like that's how she talks. Yeah. 
And it's really, really hard to do that. Yes. It takes a lot of work. It does. She, Meryl said that she grew up listening to Barbara. <laughs> and through listening to Barbara, she learned how to like control her voice and use it as her instrument. Barbara Streisand. We were just talking about this. Yeah. Her speaking voice, her singing voice. It's an instrument. It is. And you and you know it is because Jason Gould has it too. Chase, and I know it's genetic. Yeah, it it's sounds a, like a horn, like a pipe, like like a, it's beautiful. like a horn instrument, like a French horn. Yeah, like a beautiful, it's unbelievable. Lilting. And even her speaking voice, uh-huh. like and the way that she controls it and uses it, yeah, it like it's so true. And like her, I'm she not has such saying, a big range. And I'm not saying that Meryl Streep is the same kind of singer that Barbara Streisand is. No, but she does have a control, oh, clearly over mm-hmm. her voice, like. She sings the winner takes it all in live. Yeah. It is a very difficult song to sing. And that she's technically an incredibly good singer. Yeah. It's it's amazing. I think she was just like, you know, this little girl in New Jersey who was really smart Mm -hmm. and talented. And her mom is an artist. And I don't think anyone ever told her she couldn't do anything. Yeah. And she just like absorbed everything like a sponge around what a great example to show like if we teach all of our daughters that they can be whoever they want to be and give them the confidence and then they do yeah like that language works and she's just like super smart i think yeah i mean that helps so 11 out of her 21 oscar nominations involved some kind of accent work Mm-hmm. And this isn't even including Julie and Julia and the Devil Wears Prada, which like right. is a vocal. They're just like vocal affectations. And also Julie, she's doing an impression of a living person, yeah. which is like so much pressure. Right. If you compare or a that person who lived. Yes. Rather. If you compare that to the next most nominated actresses, Catherine Hepburn never changed her voice. Betty Davis and Geraldine Page did twice. Glenn Close, Jessica Lange and Aaron Burstyn did once. And Jane Foss- Fonda also never did. So like none of these people. So she's got the range. baby. She's got the range. Yeah. By 1991, the New York Times referred to Meryl as the woman of a thousand accents. That is so true. But I don't even think of it. I know. because She just is a chameleon. I know. So between 1978 and now, she has had 21 Oscar nominations and three wins and 29 Golden Globe nominations and nine wins. Damn. She has 93 acting credits. Wow. Just for film. That is. Wow. Meryl Streep. Yeah. She's incredible. So she has some really fun interviews on like the Graham Norton show because she's just like so funny. I mean, she's witty she's as a very, hell. She's very entertaining yes. to watch. She's truly an entertainer. Yeah, she is. Unbeknownst to her, too. She's right. just like funny. She just has it. So she tells the story about how um, back in the day, the Golden Globes were like a luncheon. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a place for people to just get like wasted in the middle of the day. <laughs> um, like Jack Nicholson would like show up wasted at like 1 p.m. That's why he always had those sunglasses on. Right. So, um, like, yeah, there's also like Coke in them. <laughs> it was like him and Angelica Houston. Oh, big, big Coke. I vibes. would do Coke with them. <laughs> I don't do Coke, but I would with them. No shit. You guys got Coke yet? <laughs> said this in the last it's one. It's funny. Yeah, this is America. <laughs> um, everywhere you go has ballet. <laughs> Meryl was nominated um, at the Golden Globes for Best Actress in 84 for Silkwood. And this was before there were stylists and like people lending gowns out. Yeah. So she didn't want to she didn't want to buy a dress. So she just wore her wedding dress. <laughs> and she was like, she was like, it's a perfectly nice white silk that dress. That is so iconic. Yeah. I did not know that. So Mamie had just been born like a few months before. So Meryl was breastfeeding. Yeah. And this luncheon was like taking forever. 
Next thing you know, it's like 2 p.m. Next thing you know, it's 3 p.m. Next thing you know, it's 4 p.m. And all of a sudden, like her boobs explode breast milk all over her dress. Oh, my God. So she had like to cross her arms like the rest of the night. That is the most like on. Wow. Yeah. Just wow. And then just like before we had all those pumps that you could bring everywhere. Oh, yeah. I don't know what she was using. What pumps were people using? The gas pump? Was it just like a bike horn? Yeah, it was a plunger. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Did they even did our moms even have pumps? I mean, we could ask them. I'm going to have to call her and ask. I don't know if I latched. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have a good latch? Yeah. Oh, my God. So uh, just to end this with like a very Donna story. I don't know if you are if you know this, but before Meryl went to Yale, she went backpacking around London Mm. and she stayed in the Bethnal Green area, which is like a neighborhood in the East End. Oh, and she stayed in this like very nice bed and breakfast that she talks about that was like nice and cheap and it had a free breakfast. She like tells the story about how she like came downstairs and she got some free breakfast and there was like this black disc on her plate and she was like eating it. She was like, what's this? And they're like, that's black pudding vibes. And they told her it was blood and yeah. she like immediately went through up. It's just not for me. No. I I appreciate that it's a part of a traditional breakfast. It's not for me. I don't want it. It's blub. I don't want to eat any blub. Doesn't it feel like. I No. Ugh, I can't. I actually won't say it because it's like too gross. No. It has to do with periods. No. Elena, not today. Okay. I See, can't. I told you I shouldn't. Yeah. No, but we, I got the point. I got the point across. I can't do it. Um, but wow, that was so good and so interesting. Yeah, I mean, and like, she has just, a, a je ne sais quoi. She really, I don't think anybody dislikes her. No. How could you not like her? She has, like, positioned herself so perfectly. Yeah, she's so just excellent. And, like, um, another thing, too, is, like, pretty much before the 2016 election, she was not very vocal about her politics. But, like, you can kind of, you know, infer just by, kind of like, the parts that she was doing that mm-hmm. she was, like, Politically minded. Yeah. Like yeah. a feminist. Right. At, probably in heart. Yeah. Definitely. definitely. You know, she fights for the equal pay of women. Right. How could. Yeah. How could she not? Um, And she's definitely like very excited and involved in the Me Too movement. Yes. Um, But yeah, like she definitely came out in full force for Hillary. And then she gave a speech basically when she won like some. Oh, she got like the Cecil B. DeMille Award or something. Uh-huh. I think Viola Davis gave it to her. Uh-huh. And she gave some speech like talking shit about Trump. And he was like, no one's ever heard of her. Oh, <laughs> that's so classic. Funny. Oh, my God. Yeah, I love her. I always have. Yeah. And she's I'll watch anything she does. Do in you know, fact, I should go back and fill in the gaps. We should go in and fill in the gaps of the Merrill movies that we missed. Um, I don't know that I can, like, bring myself to watch Sophie's Choice. I don't. If you haven't seen it, let's just maybe not. It's really emotional. I mean, I watched like parts of it. I like to and have, just I just can't. I don't have the stomach for some of the movies I was able to watch when I was younger. I know. Like, because they were like the first time I had those feelings. I like can't have them anymore. I know. Um, yeah, like now I get like upset when I just think about the scene in Mamma Mia 2 yeah, when the can't. ghost of Meryl Streep sings My Love My Life. Yeah. I, I'm like, very soft. Yeah. I'm a soft, 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 soft. Soft. Very soft. Um, yeah, like I think the last time I saw anything that was really a tearjerker was like Life is Beautiful. That is the saddest movie. <laughs> like that the, movie yeah. is traumatically sad. Although, you know, like that one scene in Band of Brothers. Oh my god, Band of Brothers is so sad. It's actually all Holocaust-based I mean, things are so, so deeply upsetting. Yeah. Like I can't 
watch Schindler's List again. Yeah. I watched it. I can't watch it. I, I also, I I also can't great. watch like the 12 years of the slave of it. It's, like it's, I have such a hard, hard time. I can't it's watch really, it. Really? It's a lot. I'd rather read about what happened. Like, right. Yeah. That's like my seeing it acted out yeah. in front of you is like very traumatizing yeah. for you. I mean, some it's that's fair enough. So like, you know, I've talked about I lived in Austria when I was like younger mm-hmm. and when we moved there, I um, went to an American international school. And I just would like to point out that so much of my education was about the Holocaust. I bet. In Austria. Yeah. Like they we learned a lot like for like second grade. Yeah. But like I remember just like learning so much about it. Yeah. And like we're just not like that here. I mean, we learn about it, but not like that. Not the real. Not, not a, the reality. Not, I made a diorama of a gas chamber in third grade. Oh, my God. Because they we were like making dioramas of like, well, of like scenes from the Holocaust so we can like really learn it. Wow. I mean, it's that makes sense. Wow. That's heavy. And like, yeah, it's stuck with me. Yeah, I don't think we're making that. We're not but making like, dioramas of that here. I yeah, mean, maybe not true. dioramas, but like right. we should definitely be l- a little more honest about what's going on. Like, what, I mean, now we're like grade- critical race theory is illegal. Oh, wow. Did you see that thing where um, some like Alabama senator was like talking about it and someone, a reporter asked him what it was and he like couldn't answer? Yikes. <laughs> There's a lot of big yikes. I mean, I'm just thinking about like that level of education and that kind of subject matter, like we they would never in the school systems here talk about that in second grade. Like I know. we in first grade, we still did like this is like back in the 90s, but we would dress up as like pilgrims and stuff and Damn. like Indians and stuff. Like Damn. it's so like it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like we didn't learn the real history. No. We learned like a propagandized history uh-huh. of all of that just like kind of it like it was basically like thanksgiving yeah it's the like, hamilton of it all yeah exactly that's what we learned was like the four the founding fathers are like right and it's just not what happened yeah at all and like again going back to like what we were even talking about earlier was like don't accept anything anybody tells you yeah. because we don't know anything we thought dinosaurs looked like how dinosaurs look yeah. and that's not how they look like, no, they look like fucking chickens, probably. Right. Like this is I keep going back to that example, but like nothing that we've been taught, it's all theories. Yeah. We weren't no one was there. It's all theories or propaganda. Like, even think about a story between two people that will tell you a story from two right. different perspectives. Uh-huh. And it's gonna color how it was because of the perspective of that person. It's like cruel summer. It's just the like show cruel on summer that we were watching. Yes. One but, girl says that she was there, the other girl says so she, she wasn't. wasn't. And no one knows. Maybe both things are true. Yeah. Like these perspectives, like if you take one person's perspective and then move forward with that as the history, we don't necessarily get we will never know what actually happened. Right. We will never know. We know kind of what happened. Well, I mean, there are historical accounts of things that are just people aren't being taught. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the records exist. Well, that's also true. We're getting there's cherry picking. Right. And there's storytelling confirmation bias and storytelling and propaganda. But even then, let's say we have there's an event and we have the tales of 20 different people. We have 20 different tales with 20 different views. Yeah. And like we didn't have a video of it. Even from a camera's perspective, you get not the full picture. Well, I heard pancaked. I heard pancaked. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like we just don't. It's. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. We, like it, we are actually having our own simulation, what we can perceive through our five senses or more. Yeah. And that's all we can show people is how we perceive things. I mean, people see colors differently from each right. other. 
people hear things differently from each yeah. other. Like, how could we possibly we're filters agree on something as a fact, fact, fact? Right. Like, there are things that are inarguably facts. I'm not saying I'm not like a flat earther. I'm not a flat earther, but I'm saying like there are things that we just don't even have the science. But for. just like why? What we just don't know. We just don't know. Yeah. And anyway, Meryl Streep, you guys. Meryl Streep. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was that was great. She's my favorite and I love her. She's very interesting. Cancer queen. God, we love a cancer. I know. I'm a rising cancer, so I ha- I also have a large affinity and you're a cancer. So I just want to just like we know. I just want to say we know that Lin-Manuel is a Capricorn. Yeah. Oh, we're aware. I'm not. Listen, as a Capricorn, I know what I am. OK, <laughs> I know who I'm in company with. I'm in company with Dolly Parton, but I'm also in company with Jeff Bezos. And those are just. It's you got to use your powers for good or evil. I think that um, Tom Cruise is the Jeff Bezos of cancers. Sure. Let's Correct go. me if I'm wrong. Let's see. I think below. Right, I don't know any different right now. Yeah. But we'll you know what? Maybe somebody with a different perspective can let me know. Yeah. Who is um, the worst representation of your star sign that you can think of? Comment below. Oh, yes. Oh, I actually want that. Yeah. Of your star sign, who is like the most infamously terrible person right. representing your sun sign? Yeah. I want that's Yes. So you're, would you say yours is Jeff Bezos? There's got to be somebody. I he's mean, pretty he's bad. pretty bad. I would say Bezos is pretty bad. Yeah. You know, there's like a petition to have him not return to Earth. <laughs> is that so funny? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Denied reentry. Oh, my God. I mean, it's just we listen to a podcast about how he actually never even spends his own money. Oh, well, you know, this that whole report that came out from ProPublica that just exposed how rich people don't or like ultra rich people don't pay any taxes right. and then sometimes even get like tax breaks because they manipulate their income so much. Yeah. Like Jeff Bezos, like reported a loss and got like four thousand dollars for like child support. I can't like it's unbelievable. Oh, my God. So basically, like ultra rich people, we, we all know this. Yeah. They pay like zero percent tax. Yep. I want to thank Ronald Reagan for dropping the the wealth tax at 25 percent in the in the 90s with Newt Gingrich. Kill me. Yep. It used to be like 90 percent. Yeah. But another good point, too, is that like going back to like the titans of industry, mm-hmm. like the Rockefellers and whatever of the mm-hmm. time, like they were actually producing stuff to sell. Right. So yeah. like before the only product that we produced in America was like the financial market, like mm-hmm. before the 80s, like you know, these ultra rich people that were being taxed like super high, they were also paying like sales tax and income tax because Mm -hmm. they were actually selling goods, not just like manipulating capital gains and like moving assets around. And And that sort of like prevented this sort of... It didn't prevent it. It was like what was reality. It was like what... Well, now there's just like all these loopholes so that these people can become... But it's also like the only industry that we have. Like it's like what America makes is like the derivative market. Right. It's like the big business in America is like debt. Exactly. Yeah. And like liability. Right. Which is debt. But like, yeah, it's pretty it's bad. Wild. So like 2008 is like about to happen again. Watch out, everyone. Um, okay. Oh, Chris Pratt is pretty bad. Oh, are you talking? Is it famous cancers? He's mm-hmm. not. He's not as ba- that bad. Is he? Mm, you know, I, what? Know. I actually don't know. I couldn't say. Now I have to look up the cast. Oh, my God. We got Francis McDormand on our team. Oh, I love Oh, my God. Solange. Oh, that's so good. You know, I always looked to Solange because I have an older brother that's like very successful and like high achieving. Mm. Um, So I always like look to Solange for support. And she was always there for me. I you actually I mean? like love Solange. Uh, she's so good. Right. She's so cool. And she's, her music is great. She's very cool. OK, so here's like the most evil person from every um, sign, according to astrologian.com. <laughs> 
Um, Kim the second. Kim Jong. He was the North Korean Kim Sung, I think. Dictator of North Korea and Pol Pot. Our Cancers? Our Aries. Oh. Those are the Aries ones. For Taurus, we've got um, Adolf Hitler and Saddam Hussein. <gasps> These are bad. <laughs> and the Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini. Okay. Yeah, these are pretty bad. Um, Gemini, we have David Berkowitz and Peter Curtin. Also Donald Trump. Is Peter Curtin. He's the vampire of Dusseldorf. So. Oh my God. Like an actual vampire? I Look, sounds like he's a serial killer. I want to suck your blood. And then Cancers are Carl Panzram and Elizabeth Weiss. Um, who are these people? Does it say? That doesn't he's feel a, like... He's a serial killer. Okay, well... And she's an evil witch. That's I take that one. That's great. <laughs> she poisoned and drugged with morphine five children, one of which was her own grandson, and burned their bodies in a stove. All I have to say is that these two people are relatively obscure. It's obscure. Yeah. So like yes. cancers aren't terrible. No, it's the ones when you know it. So like, for example, like we're here, at, we're here at Leo and we have Mussolini and Elizabeth Bathory, who <laughs> is the famous like Countess Dracula. Oh, that's sick, though. Yeah. Drusilla. <laughs> but Mussolini, not quite so Not sick. great. No. Virgo, we've got Genghis Khan. Genghis? Yep. For Libras, they've listed Richard III. Okay. Um, what did he do? Do we know? Let's see. He killed like a bunch of cousins to prevent them from getting to the throne. Just looks like some evil king stuff. Okay. Some like Game of Thrones. Just, yeah. Evil king behavior. Ramsey stuff. Mm-hmm. Tom Hanks is a cancer, by the way. Oh, God. I love Tom. Tom Hanks is my other fave fave. Wow. Wait. Tom Hanks and Merle are my two favorites. And I they're... wonder if cancers make good actors. Absolutely. We're very empathetic. You're very, you very are. Um, Scorpio, Charles Manson. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Um, Jessica Simpson is a cancer. Sagittarius is we've got Ted Bundy and Joseph Stalin. That's oh a my god, that's a good one. And um, Capricorn has Mao Zedong, okay, Al Capone, and Edie Amin. Who's Edie Amin? And Jeff Bezos. I'm ignorant of this one. Hold on, a dictator of Uganda. Ooh, a lot of dictators on these. Yes, and then Aquarius has Gary Ridgway, who's the Green River Killer. He's a famous serial killer. Okay, very uh. Yeah, very famous serial killer. And then Pisces, Osama bin Laden. Wow. So it wasn't that quite a journey. That is a journey. That's, um, wow. That's fun, though. That's, that's a fun category. Yeah. It's always, you're always like, is there a correlation? And then comment below, like, your least star- favorite. Yeah, I want to know what people are like, oh, this person has the same birthday as Like, me. I honestly, like, hate, despise Lin-Manuel more than Jeff Bezos. Elena. I'll take that out. <laughs> yeah, like, who, uh, who is your personally least favorite of, yeah. this, of your sign. I think it's that's funny. Is yours Jeff or Lynn? I'm going to go with, with Jeff Bezos. I think that it's... His overall footprint is yeah, worse. Yeah, it's worse. Yeah, upon humanity. It's a pox upon humanity. Totally. Anyways, I've got some Amazon Prime How things fu- I have to I know, right? How Kill fucking me. funny is um, wanting to go to space and then building a spaceship and it looks just like a penis. I mean, That's yeah. so funny. Yes. Has it's, anyone tried making a spaceship that looks like a vagina? Because I feel like that would work better. Well, if you actually look at like unidentified flying objects, they are like round discs with holes in the bottom. They're like saucers. You know what? What? And that could be a it's titty. It's a butthole. It's a butthole! I knew it! <laughs> I knew it 
was going to be buttholes. <laughs> I knew it. I've been saying that. You have been. Like for years. For years now. Like you're going to be like Matthew McConaughey living out of your car being like, it's a buttholes. <laughs> I know it. If, it. if I'm living out of my car and I'm Matthew McConaughey, I hope it's a Lincoln. It's obviously a Lincoln lawyer. I love lawyer. the comfort of a Lincoln. The Lincoln lawyer. Um, <laughs> do you have an icon of a, the week this week? Icon of the week. Icon of the week. Icon of the week. <laughs> All right, I'm going to do, I'm going to like take it back. I've done this one before, but I'm going to do it again. It's your liver. Because Bitch, she's, that's she's... my icon of the week. <gasps> That's my icon of the week. <gasps> Do we have to duel? N- duel Lipa? Goodbye. Lipa Lacusa? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, go ahead. You go ahead and do that one. I'll come up with a different one. Go ahead. Okay, well, I'm just like very happy that she's uh, coming back to us, normalizing, relaxing, oh and allowing you to take the step in your journey that will make you happier. I just want to say that I have so much empathy and compassion and understanding of people who deal with any kind of chronic illness or mysterious illness or Especially health scares. in this country. Or it's just very, very scary. Yeah, it's very, very like, scary. The second you have anything wrong with you in this country, just get prepared to do every kind of paperwork for the rest of your life. I mean, it's a lot of blood taking and poking and prodding and anxiety. And I mean, it's just really, it's not fun. And uh, I don't even think mine was like, honestly, relatively that bad. Like I'm okay. Yeah. Like you, thankfully, out. you didn't like have any like illness or symptoms. No, or I was anything. okay. But like there was like very seriously bad liver enzymes. Yeah. I was about to have a biopsy, and it cleared up. But, um, yeah, I just think it's like your health is just so important, and your mental health is so important. And do whatever you have to do to take care of yourself Mm -hmm. and don't apologize for it Mm -hmm. and don't overdo it. And I just want everybody to give themselves permission to put prioritize their health and their mental health. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're in this vessel and you got to take care of it. And watch couples therapy because it really teaches you a lot of stuff. God, couples therapy is so good. Like every, oh my God, this is something that I learned on couples therapy that like changed the game for me. Mm -hmm. Orna said that our anxieties are us trying to fix the shortcomings that our parents think that they have. That our parents think that they yeah, have. Yeah, so like which for example, if like you have a parent that like... Well, like the, the girl, one of the girls in the show, it was like her mom had a lot of anxieties about doing things like perfectly right, right, right. and being like perfectionist. Yeah, because she was like an immigrant. It's kind of like a, for a lot of women, a lot of women's anxiety is because society has put this like thing that women have to be perfect at things like uh-huh. w- girls suffer suffer from perfectionism like super badly right um it's like good girl syndrome like yeah. trying and you know generation to generation of women trying to be good girls and do, do everything right and, and like, like keeping up appearances a lot of it is like it, children of immigrants uh-huh. too who want to you know appear in society as being successful clean and, and successful you know what i mean like yeah. making sure you're keeping up with the joneses is your house neat is it all that kind of stuff like all these pressures that we put on ourselves are us just like basically passing it down to our daughters and our sons. And this, it's like all these traumas. And I'm sure with men and their sons, like all this like toxic masculinity that gets passed down. And it's like, those are the anxieties that we're dealing with. It's just like, we want to fix it for our parents. So we take it on. It's natural. It's a natural thing when you're in a relationship with a parent, like it's the empathy and you, you're bonded to them and you want to fix it. And so you take it on and, we just keep, you know, passing it down. And again, it's stuff that's just put on us arbitrarily by society. It's not yeah. real. 
it doesn't need to be real. We got to break it. We got to break the yeah, cycle. Um, we do. That, yeah. And it's that, up to us. That is so interesting. It's up to us to like recognize. And I think we're doing a great job. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we're doing the best we can with what we've been given, which is not much as a generation. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, we're collectively doing a lot of work to like undo a lot of the trauma that we've inherited and like try to be happy. Yeah, it's you know? so true. And like raise people like people who have kids, like raise them differently. And like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. And that's like not to criticize like our parents and say like they were bad and did a bad job or anything. It's just like as society grows and changes, we're now just seeing things in a different light. Yeah, I don't think and they it were, involves yeah. work. It involves work. I mean, I've, I've, I'm saying like, I think we are like the first one of the first generations to like see collectively mm-hmm. like that we are kind of being played. Right. And like, how do we deal with that? Right. Like, we're, we're sort of bucking the system more yeah. so than ever. Yeah. And that's it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays it, out. Because we got played ourselves like it, play, yeah. it didn't play our parents the way it's playing. 2000 us. late. As much as they would like to argue that it, we have it easy. Right. Please. They don't. Please yeah. make something a PDF for me, Carol. Yeah. Right. <laughs> sure. So you're going to go to print. <laughs> <laughs> um no but in all seriousness like yeah that's that really was a big one for me yeah couples therapy yeah all right so what is my icon of the week yeah what's your icon of the week okay i don't know how this wasn't staring me in the face but since you're doing it one that you've already done i'm gonna do one that i've already done and you're my icon of the week and it's because i am so impressed with you for roller skating like becoming an aggressive skater in like the short span of time that you've picked up skates and like your willingness to learn and like be vulnerable and try something new at age almost 35, I think is so friggin' badass. Like you guys, Elena has been going to our local skate park and she got aggressive skates, which are for those of you don't know, aggressive skates are like when you do like tricks on your roller blades, basically. Uh And She's been like grinding and doing jumps and like all these tricks and like watching YouTube videos on how to do it and then like going and doing it and like going into the skate park. There was like a bunch of other skaters in there, like on skateboards, like doing all these tricks. They were like super good. And like I would have been so terrified to do it. But you went in there and you did it. And I was like just so impressed with you. And I think that's iconic. And also, just thank you for being there for me with all this shit with my, oh my God, liver and you're going to take care of me when I'm after my surgery. And yeah, I just I'm love nurse you, you so much. I'm My breastfeeding boobs are going to burst all over my wedding dress. <laughs> I want to breastfeed you. Just like health. the cancer mom crab yeah, that you like, are. But it's also our seven year wedding anniversary on Sunday yeah. as well. So we're celebrating that. It's a big, June's a big month for us gays. Yes, it's pride. It's our wedding anniversary and Elena's birthday is coming up. Yeah. And we just got a lot to celebrate. Well, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. Well, I love you so much. Um, going back to that, though, like it's uh, being able to just like not be good at something and just like allow myself to be bad and learn has been really my my challenge and what I've been like fighting. And it's I been mean, it's very literally good. that perfectionistic. Yeah, thing. exactly. It's so true, especially women. I think we have a hard time. We don't want to be like seen like to have to learn something because like it's such a I mean, skating, for example, is kind of a male dominated sport for sure. Yeah. And you don't want to be seen as like, oh, look at that girl over there. It's like, well, it's like, oh, you're allowed to learn, but I'm not. Yeah. And it's just like we have to get we have to push through that. Yeah. We have to push through this all that shit. Yeah. And you're doing it. I'm going to do it. You're going to solve feminism with your roller skates. Oh, my God. Your roller blades. Blading for fems. Blading for feminism 2021. Hell yeah. On that note, I think it's time for us to bid adieu to the candle coven. 
I need to go have a sandwich. Oh, nice. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And we'll for see listening. you guys next week. Love you. Bye, Candle Company. Bye.